Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Boothcast. Now Boothcast today is brought to you by the Sean Partners Race Team, which focuses on empowering and supporting rising talent by providing a framework for achieving success. They focus on key partnership between quintessentially Australian brands that stand equally for success, hard work and passion. Uh, the team is sponsored by Fen, Oakley, Bennett, Ocean Paddler by Kobe, and of course, Sean Partners Financial Services. If you want to find out more about the team, please check out uh, Shaw Race Team on Instagram, Facebook, and on the website. Now, my guest today is Kendrick Louie. Now, Kendrick Louie is an outstanding Ironman competitor. He's won the Nutrigrain Ironman series. He's won the Australian Ironman title. He's gone over and won the Molokai Tuawaku Paddleboard Championships. He's won a whole bunch of different stuff. He is an exceptional athlete, and I feel very lucky to have him on the show. Um, now I'm going to throw you over to my interview with Kendrick. Kendrick Louie, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Boothy. It's, uh, it's been awesome, mate, following this journey of your podcast and the Boothcast. So it's, um, it's great to be a part of it. Yeah, it's been a really cool journey, obviously speaking to so many different people from different aspects of their sporting life or business life. And you sort of just get to learn so many great tools, I guess, to help you along. And the viewers seem to be really liking it. So it's been great to share everybody's stories. So um, with all my viewers, I'd like to get a little bit out about them, about uh, their background, uh, what, they've, what they've achieved and sort of a bit of a, a snapshot of um, what they did when they were growing up. So if, can you give us a bit of a, a backstory into who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, sure. I, um, I grew up in Sydney on the Northern Beaches. Um, man, I guess at a, at a very young age, I'll go back a, a fair way because it yep. kind of, it, it, you know, I guess it, you know, made me the person I guess I am today. But um, when I was 18 months old or two years old, I um, we were around at a, at a friend's place having a barbecue one afternoon. And um, I think back then, you know, there wasn't too much of a, emphasis around pool fences and all that sort of jazz and you know um I was, as a kid I was just playing around inquisitive ended up falling in the pool um couldn't swim fell straight to the bottom I was pretty much laying on the bottom of the pool um like my hands up in the air my eyes open mouth open swallowing water essentially drowning um and then my older brother at the time Howard he uh jumped in it was kind of on one of those steps but it was a deep step and um, yeah. I obviously couldn't stand and he grabbed me pulled me out of the water um, essentially saved my life really um, if he wasn't there I probably would have drowned and um, since then so since that age of 18 months old to probably the age of I reckon eight or nine I was petrified of the water um, and that's not just I guess the ocean but it was just having a bath or even um, yeah going into swimming pool swimming lessons that sort of jazz I was absolutely petrified of it and then you know, you go to the ocean. I, um, you know, we always used to go away up the coast as a family and go surfing and whatnot. And I was, the, I was the kid, fully clothed, shoes and socks, did not want to borrow of the ocean whatsoever. Um, and that was kind of hard for me because I'd see my brothers loving it. My dad would go for a surf, and it was just such a natural thing in our family. And um, yeah, I guess my dad was just so, I guess persistent and you know obviously he understood the you know the situation I was in but at the same time he wanted me to overcome it and he'd take me out on his surfboard and like push me through shore breaks and like, I would absolutely hate it but looking back now I think that's probably what helped me overcome it and um, made me comfortable in the water and it wasn't until I was probably nine nine years old I reckon it got to a point where I just um, something just clicked and I just absolutely fell in love with it um, it probably 
was, you know, I guess the competitive side of me, um, you know, whether it was running or anything like that, I just wanted to be the best at it and always wanted to beat the guy next to me. And, and um, yeah, so kind of my parents enrolled me in swimming and learned to swim and all that sort of jazz. And, um, you know, as things progress, I wanted to be the fastest in my squad. And, um, and then a few mates at school started surfing. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go start surfing with them. And, and mum and dad were like, okay, no dramas at all, but we're going to enroll you in nippers to um, just to give you that bit of confidence and surf awareness as to, you know, if you're going to go for a surf on your own. So I was like, okay, no dramas. One thing led to the next. I became competitive at that. So I, um, you know, I learned how to paddle a board and, um, you know, my swimming progressed heat. So I started chasing more of that competitive swimming route. and. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I guess, became competitive in that space. And then um, Nippers was just a an o- o- organic kind of progression. Yeah, so um, you, you, you... Oh, sorry, go on. I no, no, you, you, go, you go. Yeah, so you have the, obviously that terrible experience when you're younger and you sort of feel feel those effects for many years to come and then you eventually get pushed into the water and you sort of start doing those um, surfing sessions with Michael, your dad, and you're able to sort of overcome that and you start to go surfing with your friends and then you start to getting competitive in surf ice and were you always a competitive guy like from the day dot like were you always competing against your brothers like i know for myself like it was it was a competition like i don't know to get dinner or to, to run down the street or to get to the water first or anything like that like it was always a competition between myself and daniel and steve and my brothers was it always a bit of a competitive environment for you or was it just like something that came organically that you just started to be good at um surf ice from a young age no it was definitely i was i I was definitely a competitive kid. Um, whatever it was, whether it was, you know, I, I guess not, you know, running for the front seat of the car or whatnot, but like, I don't know, I would always just want to do something better than my brother did it. Or, you know, one of my mates, it was like, you know, he caught this wave, well, I wanted to catch a bigger wave and ride it longer. Or, you know, I wanted to be a fast runner. And, and I guess for me, it was like, that was never a case. Like I was always, you know, at school, I was like, I was more a, a, an endurance-based kid so I was like, all I, all I ever wanted to do was be good at the 100 meter sprint because like that was the cool thing and that just was not in my DNA. But yeah, as a kid, I was super competitive, mate. Like my, when we were really young, Bart, my younger brother and I, we um, you know, obviously shared a, shared a bedroom as young kids do and it was like, you know, I'd always have the top bunk and I would run and yeah, it was just, um, mate, I was just a very competitive kid. Yeah. And then you get into surf lifesaving at around 10, 11 to sort of become more proficient in the ocean. Um, you enjoy it and you start, I guess, at that stage, start to compete at New South Wales state titles and you go on New South Wales teams and that's sort of like your first um, experiences of competing at that higher level. Um, what was it like, obviously, competing as a, as a kid and how did you sort of approach it? Because then you said like you were trying to get better at swimming in your squad and you were trying to obviously be the best you can be from a young age. And I know I was racing against you like, obviously as we got older, but we were always in those teams together and it was always, I always saw how competitive you were and how, how you wanted to be the best. And obviously that helped you lead to your results that you're getting now. Um, but what was that sort of initial experience like? Was it hard work and determination or was it just, you just wanted to do it? It was fun for you. Like what was the sort of the emotions that you were getting at the time by being involved in this sport and then gradually progressing? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, when I started, I guess, uh, nippers, I, you know, moving forward probably a few years um i started kind of following that competitive pool swimming path a fair bit um you know and obviously the likes of yourself and tommy fraser holmes you know we'd see each other a lot of kind of swimming meets and stuff like that as well um so when i was probably uh 
13 or 14, I was um, doing a lot of swimming. So I was probably, well, in, if, for my standards anyway, I was swimming probably six or seven times a week. Um, you know, every third weekend we're out at Homebush and other chasing other swim meets around and chasing state qualifying and national qualifying times. Um, and then, you know, through that swimming squad, there was a couple of guys in that squad that, that did nippers down at Collaroy. And they said, you know, come and join Colorado Surf Club. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I've never really paddled a nipper board before, but like, I paddled a surfboard, so it can't be too much different. Um, however, I, you know, I went, went to a, my first nipper carnival, and um, uh, in the Ironman race, I was leading by like, you know, a fair bit in the swim leg. And then coming around to the board, like, everyone would just catch me. And um, it was like devastating feelings. I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, they must be so good at paddling boards. And um, one, one um, I guess, state, Nipper state title that stands out the most was, um, yeah, it was a swim board, I guess, Ironman race. And um, I came out of the swim so far in front and ended up fourth um, off the board. And I was just absolutely gutted. All I wanted to do was just get a medal. You know, <laughs> I would have been pumped with that. And um, it just wasn't meant to be. So uh, I went back to the drawing board and just I knew that that was my weakness and I had to work on it. And did you have any good coaches going through those junior ranks that really helped push you to that next level? Like whether it was a swimming coach, or whether it was your dad, or whether it was um, an Ironman coach or a board coach. Like, was there anyone really pushing you to that next level, or was it always just organic, sort of moving forward and trying to make yourself that little bit better each year and trying to see where it, where it went? Yeah, well, I guess um, you know your parents play a massive role in it, <clears throat> and um, you know I was lucky enough that my parents were just so you know that they were relaxed about everything and um, it was totally up to me if I wanted to, you know, I played a lot of different sports through that time, you know, I was playing soccer and I was playing footy and running cross country and doing athletics and like lots of different stuff. And, um, you know, they would have said, just do what, do what you want, you know, like have fun with it. And, you know, me being the person I am, I wanted to be the best at every single sport, but I had to kind of choose one when it got to a certain point. Um, you know, so when I focused on swimming, I was lucky. I was surrounded by such a good swim squad um, at Carlisle when I was a young kid. So there was a lot of national champion swimmers and state champs. So I was like, that there was easy. I just had to jump in the pool and follow whatever the coach said. Um, the I guess the surf life-saving side, and when, when I'd go to Nippers, it was at Colorado at the time, it was just such a, it was an awesome culture there. So like, I would love to turn up to training and, you know, the, 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 the coaches there, they're, it's nothing like it is today, you know, the, well, at that club anyway. They weren't paying coaches to come and teach kids. They were just dads who had finished work and their kids were in, in the same age group and they'd come down and teach you how to paddle boards and, you know, have, have fun with it. And, um, you know, I guess for me, I really looked up to the older guys in that surf club at the time. So, you know, I'd see the likes of, um, you know, every Saturday morning you'd have guys like Brad Gall and Jeremy Cotter, um, I think Floody would come sometimes and train there. And then, you know, Matt Giddos. A lot of the guys from Collaroy would um, you know, be doing an Ironman session um, on a Saturday morning and we'd finish nippers and I'd just watch them and I'd be like, oh, sick. You know, it looks so cool, looks so hard. They, you know, they were paddling skis and that was all so foreign to me. So I just, you know, um, kind of latched onto them like a sponge and just followed what they did. They were always out you know, catching waves. So I was like, okay, that must be how you get good skills. And, <laughs> you know, I just kind of learned um, off the older guys, especially in the sport. And then um, when I progressed into that cadets age group, it was just, you know, I got to train with them. And um, they were just, they just kind of, I guess, learned from experience and, um, you know, going around racing. And but, but their biggest thing was always just to have fun with it. 
Um, and that, I guess for me, was very hard because I was having fun if I was winning. Um, so it was kind of like, all right, how do, you, how do you find a balance there? And, you know, you can't always win. So you still got to have fun with it even if you're not winning. So, um, yeah, I guess I just yeah. learned from the older guys, you know, that was, that was my thing. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting one. I, I had the same sort of approach, I guess, that, yeah, you want to go out there and have fun, but you do have fun when you're winning as well. And you do have fun when you're doing that little bit more in your competition to get better and trying to be the best you can be when it counts as well, which is one of those harder things. What, what sort of like things did you work on as a, as a young kid, do you think, like to get yourself mentally strong to be able to perform and be, to be able to win? And, and how has that changed to now when you're a bit mature and you're sort of being able to win bigger races when it counts, like the Australian titles, and then obviously getting through and winning your first Ironman series last year. Like what, what things do you think you did when you were a kid that allowed you to be able to be so strong mentally when it, when, when it counted in those bigger races? I, I think um, especially with like mental fitness, right? It's very hard to be, uh, or mental strength, it's very hard to be mentally strong if you haven't physically done the work. Mm. Um, so for me, like I can't put my foot on the line and know, hey, I've got the best chance of winning this race if I haven't, if I haven't put in a solid block. So I think, A, you've got to do the work um, and then the confidence comes with that. Um, for me, I was very lucky to, not very lucky, but I worked very hard on my swimming at a young age. And in our sport, you know, those kind of athletes, like you look at the Kai Hursts, um, you know, who have, have come from a, a great swimming background into the sport. It's like, it's just such a hard leg to be good at. And if you can have that solid foundation, that will set you up. So, you know, for me, it was like, all right, I need to work on my, my, I need to keep my swimming super strong. And then I need to work on obviously my skills in the ocean. Um, but at a young age, what I couldn't get my head around was like how to handle those emotions um, when things don't go your way. And it's not, and it's totally, things don't go your way and they're totally out of your control. That was, that was my thing. It was just like, you know, why did they come from behind on a wave? You know, and that the amount of times that happened to me as a young kid, I'd be leading and then I just, I wouldn't win and they'd come from behind on a wave and I was like, it, it used to just infuriate me. You know, I'd finish a race, I'd punch the ground, I was so angry, but I, it was totally out of my control. So even if I went back and did that race, I, I couldn't have done anything different, you know, and, and that, I guess, oh, even to this day, you just got to learn to harness it and... I think it's just speaking to other athletes and real, realizing that, hey, you're not the only one in that boat. That yeah, it's, it's, it's such a hard sport, I guess, in that respect, because you have to do that hard foundation blocks. You have to do the work. But at some stage of the race, something outside of your control is definitely going to happen. Like, it's just, that's the, that's the, I guess, the exciting part of the sport and the, the hard part of the sport mentally, because you may do the most amount of work and you may be the best guy on the day, but you may not necessarily win because of factors outside your control. And that's, I guess that's the beauty and the, and the horror, I guess, for some athletes. And how do, you, how do you sort of approach that situation now that you're a bit older? You just go out there and you just do your best? Or are you thinking about those elements a little bit more of those luck elements? Because as you hear a lot of people say, like you create your own luck. So you're not just going out there and going as hard as you can anymore. You're actually thinking about what could potentially happen, what, what routes are actually going to be the best for me going in and out. And if, if the waves are coming, I need to check the swells. I need to make sure I know when the sets are coming. I need to know where the sets are going to hit. Like, there's all these other factors that you have to start appreciating because coming from say a swimming background, like we both did, you didn't really appreciate those elements until you started to get those losses and those um, times when, when it was a little bit harder and you didn't get the result that you wanted and something outside of your control did happen. So what, what sort of um, elements are you looking at now compared to what probably what you were looking at back then? 
Um, mate, I, I think you got to be a lot, a lot smarter with the racing. Um, you know, I take my um, you know, Australian Ironman title two years ago, for example. Um, I was over in Scarborough, and I, I guess, put myself in the best position every single leg. I put myself to the front. A wave came from behind, brought a few guys through. Then it's like, okay, reset, um, go again. And and I guess that race stands out the most purely because I was just so calm the whole the whole race, and I just felt like I had nothing to lose. Um, and I just, you know, they caught a wave of me. I was like, okay, sweet. All right, we start again. Um, you start again, you start again. But in saying that, it's like, yeah, you do have to, you know, get down to the beach. You look at someone like Shannon Eckstein, right? He doesn't just get lucky. You know what I mean? You can't be lucky your whole career. Like, that guy is like the perfect guy. You know, in a race scenario, if you want to know the way out, just follow him, you know? Um, but when he's not racing, you've got to kind of, you know, do it yourself. So... I guess it's, you've got to spend time analysing the surf. You've got to, you've just got to spend time in it, learning your skills. And um, also it's important to have something away from your sport to actually have a bit of distraction. So you're not turning up on race day and feeling like, hey, this is, my, this is the be all and end all. If I don't win this, like, hey, I don't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, having that bit of a distraction like work or whatever it might be away from your sport allows you to kind of stay calm and um, have a clear head. Yeah, it's all, always important to have that holistic approach and have that balance aspect to your sport because otherwise if it does become the be all and end all when you are on that start line and sometimes those emotions are hard to control. I guess if you're an Olympic athlete, that's something you can't really have the beauty of having because they commit their whole life to those quad cycles as they call them. But if you're going in and out, racing every weekend, racing the best sort of every weekend. It's something that you've got to have control over and being able to sort of maintain those emotions as you're going through races. Otherwise, it becomes too much and you get overwhelmed. Um, but we'll swing back to... I think, too, though, with those Olympians, you know, in that kind of those cycles, yes, they're essentially they are. They're putting their lives on hold and training their whole life to make that games, like especially for those four-year periods. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of time where they're either not in the pool or not in the gym you know mm. so for them the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about swimming you know so like once you're in the pool you think about it you get the job done you get out of the pool you go to your gym okay once that's done what do you do you know there's those few hours in the day where that's where it's so important to either have a little side hustle whether you're selling sunglasses or whatever it might be that it's distracting you from that you know or doing or doing study you know and um you don't physically have to be going out working a a full-time job but you know if you've got a little side hustle that hey it's an interest of yours or you know photography learning about something you know and um that there takes the distraction away so you get back in the pool in the afternoon it's like oh, you, you actually want to be in there not like i've been thinking about this stuff all day yeah no it's definitely something that i learned i guess when i especially when i was on the gold coast when i went up to north Fifth, and you were just sort of like training and that was your life and that was your cycle and you didn't really do anything else and it was just like this is too much for me i needed to have other things going on and I sort of still manage to do that in my life now. And it's, it's much better for me having those different like segments. They're all working towards the same sort of goal, but they're also very, very separate. But um, swing, sorry, swinging back to um, the, the junior ranks. So when was the first time you had a big win in the juniors, whether it was one of your um, Ironman tiles as a junior or a New South Wales tile, it might've been a winner, I don't know, a Collaroy classic or something like that. Like what was the, the defining moment um, or one of the defining moments in your junior career where you thought, okay, so maybe I can do this because you've been looking up to obviously the, the Uncle Toby's guys, the Nutrigrain guys, like they were sort of the guys you started to idolise when you wanted to become an Ironman after taking that swing route. 
Um, what was what was really sort of that moment when you thought, okay, maybe I, maybe I can take this to the next level? Um, I guess it started kind of early. It was like a club championships, I think, at, at Collaroy. And I, um, yeah, I was, I was competing against a guy, Sven Ackerman, who was, um, you know, a really good athlete back then. Like, he was one of those kids that was just a young freak. And um, we went into a board race, and I ended up beating him in one of the board races. And it was like, not by speed, but it was like he couldn't get around me because every time he went around me, I'd just get in front of him again. And then, um, so in theory, he paddled faster, but I just kind of held him off. And, um, you know, that's when I was like, sweet, I've won that. And, like, he's a really good paddler. I'm like, I should, you know, try and focus a bit more time into this and, and effort into my board paddling and become a good package, you know. And um, and then it kind of just, yeah, started evolving. I, I went to state titles and, you know, was getting top fives and top sixes. So I was like, okay, this is pretty good. And then went into the Opens. And, um, yeah, I remember I think the first state title I won was maybe under 17s or something and it was against Jacob Lowback. Um he would put on an absolute clinic on the board so the board was first and he would come in on a wave on his own and I think I was like two or three waves behind him but my swim was so strong that I swam everyone down and ended up catching my own wave in the swim um, to win so that's when I thought okay I need to get better on the board but like I've just won a state title so um you know, if I can get better on the board, I'll be, if I can set myself up, I'll be able to win by like heaps further, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it started really. And, uh, and then it just, I just got obsessed with it. You know, I just started training heaps and, you know, we didn't really, I guess at Colorado Surf Club have a coach um, as such. It was, you know, the older guys, we'd turn up in the morning and, and do some races, board races with them. But then it was like myself, Bart, Mitchell Trim, and another guy, Pat Nickel, and we would just, after the board races, we'd just do three Ironmans and then that was it. Put the boards away and then just go and, you know, go and hang out and sit on patrol for the whole whole day, you know. So, um, mate, I guess there's no real defining moment that kind of did it. It just all started happening and falling into place. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I had a good listen to Ali's and yours interview and, um, you know, I guess look reflecting. It's like, I wouldn't say that, I'm necessarily a super talented athlete. Um, there was a guy that, you know, we raced against Luke Cole um, back mm. in the day and he was a talent. Like that kid is like super, super talented where I guess my talent was, and probably very, very similar to Ali's as well, um, is that our talent is we know how to work hard. Um, and once we've fixated on something like that, we will do whatever it takes to achieve it. And, you, you know, you're very similar yourself. So, you know, I think, when, when I guess when, when the going does get tough, you know, we kind of just thrive on that, you know, and things don't come easy to us. We, you know, it might, might look easy when we're winning races, but the amount of hard work and stuff we've done over the years, it's just like, that's kind of the reward, right? Absolutely. And I think working hard is something that's probably not, uh, not highlighted enough. I think there's a lot of people who see the, um, the wins and the, like the exciting times, but they never really see the hard times. They never see the, the thousands of hours you're putting into the pool or on the board or on the ski or running or trying to juggle everything at the same time. It's like a lot that goes into it all the time. And I think sometimes really only appreciate those key moments and then they sort of forget about it because they're like, Oh yeah, like he always wins or he always does this or he always is successful. And it's like, no, nah, it's like, it's like years and years of hard work and it's like finally sort of paying off. And sometimes you get those moments where you actually get those massive wins and you're like, okay, it was all worth it. But sometimes you have the same time where you have that, that terrible race or whatever it is. And you don't just, you don't do what you wanted to do. And you have a, 
I don't know, you make a mistake or you get caught up in the moment and you just, it doesn't happen for you. And that, they're the hard times. How do you deal with obviously having those, those, those bad races and then having the successes as well? Like, so what do you, what do you learn from your losses and what do you learn from those um, times when you probably don't get that result that you'd probably otherwise like to achieve? Um, I, I think the majority of the time when you get a result um, like a, that you don't want, you probably know it's coming before it even happens. Um, as I said, if you haven't done the work and you put your foot on the line and you get a bad result, well, you kind of know it's going to come, right? So, but when you're as fit as you can be, you put all the work in, you're mentally in a good space and it doesn't work out. I think that's when you just, they're the ones that you that don't kind of hurt that much um, purely because you know you're there, you know you deserve it and you know it's like, you know, it took a bit of bad luck and that's why you didn't achieve it. But for me, it's more just the ones, if I turn up to a race and I'm not prepared and I don't get a result, I kick myself because it's like, I know I'm better than that. Um, and it's just, I guess I've got high expectations of myself and it's just, yeah, I just, it's almost embarrassing if I turn up and I haven't put the work in um, and I get a result um, like that. Um, I guess as a, as a junior, um, when I won my Australian titles as a junior, like I'd, oh, I guess one of the titles anyway, I would, I'd finished school um, and I'd started a carpentry apprenticeship with my dad. And um, anyway, Bart followed suit. So we were kind of both apprentice carpenters um, working for my dad's building company. And um, our training work program was like nuts. Um, and I think I look back then, it's like, I worked so hard. Like we would get up, We'd swim Monday to Friday morning, um, every morning. So we'd uh, get up at you know four thirty. We'd drive to training in our work clothes because uh, you know we'd go straight from work. So we'd swim from five a.m. in the water to six fifteen. We'd get out and we'd drive to the building site, um, but, and we'd be there by quarter to seven. Um, and then we would yeah have our coffee in the car and eat some cereal and then get into work from seven a.m. Um, to about 4.30, we'd leave work at 4.30 and then drive to KFC, pick up a popcorn chicken snack box and then, and then, and then we'd go and sit in the car at the at Colorado Surf Club, eat that. Once we'd finished that, we'd do a quick run down to Narrabeen and back and then we'd do our training. And we did that essentially every day, Monday to Friday for probably four, or we did that for our whole apprenticeship, so for four years. Um, and in that four years was probably the best results I ever got. Yeah. So just like just the hard work and just on the grind and just like the consistency and just being able to just get up every day and just get it done. And that's what you basically you just became hard essentially. Yeah. And just like we'll go to work and it was labor intensive work, you know, mm -hmm. lunchtime we would smash our food. Dad would say, all right, yeah, we got 45 minutes or whatever for lunch. So we, Bart and I would smash our food and then just like lay down, fall asleep for like half an hour wake up back into it but like yeah and then we'd go to like the aussie titles and it was like we were so excited because it was like a holiday so like yeah. sleep in and like go for a paddle and like i know we just thrived on i guess hard work and just grinding and looking like we'd been on a building site and just like turn up to train and like i just thought it made me i guess it toughened me up pretty quickly and when you're at when you're on a i guess a building site you're surrounded by men right and they don't give a shit if you're waking up and going to swimming training or swimming lessons you know what i mean like they don't yeah. they're here you're here to do a job you get it done and you're surrounded by men so you grow up very quickly and um and then you go back to the surf club in the arvo and then you're dealing with 
we like you're, you're training with boys again so you're like oh i've been dealing with like you know men at, at work so like, these guys are just like little pussies so let's just get it done you know yeah yeah it was interesting actually i had a little experience i i wasn't doing a carpentry apprenticeship or anything like that but when i was living on the gold coast i actually stepped into scaffolding from one of the the patrons at um north Fifth surf club was coming down he was like oh if you ever want a job come down and we can do some scaffolding and i'd go swing in the morning and i'd go out to the site do like four hours of scaffolding and I'd be exhausted because like you're obviously like passing like like big planks up or the bars up or anything like that and yeah I just I gave up that pretty quickly because I was like this is just exhausting me so I don't know how you did it for four or five years but um, like you look at you know the Benny Carberries and Tannen like you know they they're working on 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 building sites and to be honest like it's it's actually funny I I kind of have a laugh a bit you know when you see athletes and um you know, and they say, oh, you don't have a, a full-time job or whatnot. You do this for a living. And it's like, well, you know what? I've actually been there and done that. I know exactly yeah. how hard it is. And I, I take my hat off to them because I bloody respect it. And um, yeah. But in saying that, it's a, it's a good contrast as to what they're doing. They're turning up to training and loving being at the beach because they've been on a building site all day. You know, it's, yeah. it's bloody cool. And you're talking about your first Australian title wins in the Ironman. And that sort of became your focus pretty quickly. You wanted to be an Ironman. You're probably aspiring a couple of those Toby's athletes. Um, two things. Who were you aspiring um, to be like or who inspired you um, to going through those ranks? Like, obviously, you were training, coming down and training with, say, Jeremy Cobb before and Brad Gore. But were there any of those key Ironmen out there that you were really looking up to? And what, how did that lead into, obviously, winning your first um, Australian title in I think it was under 17s or under 19s. Um, I always looked up to someone like Kai Hurst uh, purely because he came from a swimming background. Um, you know, I remember being at a state swimming, and you look through the program and you see the records and like Kai had like every record. And um, my dad was like, oh, this guy, yeah, look at Kai Hurst. You know, he was a bloody good swimmer. And I was like, look, comparing times. And it was just like, the guy was swimming so much faster than I was. Um, so like he was someone that I looked up to and then... Um, I guess when it comes into, you know, the, how did I progress? Was, was that the question? What was the second part of the question? Um, so how did that help progress into winning those Australian junior Ironman titles? Oh, okay. Yeah. So I just, yeah. So look, look, looking up to someone like Kyle, I was like, okay, that looks pretty cool being in the, in the Nutri-Grade series. And, you know, they had the big, the big stamps on their numbers on their arms and all that sort of jazz. And it was the big time, you know, it was like, the main event and um, as a young kid in any sport you kind of want to be a part of that so for me it was just like I'd train and I'd, I'd watch the kind of Ironman um, the Uncle Toby's and then the the Nutri-Grain stuff and, and then I'd turn up to training and just kind of do that stuff you know I, I'd want to do it I'd you know I'd, I'd catch waves how they did I tried to teach myself how to body surf how they did and um, and then I just just got obsessed with the grind. Like we were talking about before, it was just, you know, you'd go to an Aussie titles. And my first Aussies, actually, I remember it so clearly. Dad, my dad and I drove up there. And um, we drove up, like, it was kind of super last minute. And Dad was like, do you want to go up to Aussies? And I'm like, yeah, right. And we stayed, it was at Currawa. And we stayed, like, down in Miami. So I was like, this is miles away. But um, had no idea. I just thought Aussies was just, like, everywhere, you know. I thought <laughs> it was pretty cool. So we drove up um, through the night and I got there. And I think I was, like, 15 or something, racing up in the under-16s age group and just got absolutely whacked. Like, but, you know, I after that, I, um, I, I finished up. I think I got knocked in my heat in every single race. Um, I missed, actually missed the swim heat um, and I was absolutely devastated because like, I felt so bad because my dad had driven all the way up to the Gold Coast and I missed the best 
I missed the race that I was probably the best at. Yeah. And, um, and then anyway, so I kind of, that blew over. And then I took my shirt, my Collaroy um, shirt, and I uh, just wanted to get signed by all the, I guess, the best guys. And, you know, it's probably at home somewhere at mum and dad's place. But like, you know, there was Kai's signature, Shannon, Zane, Pierce, Floody, like anyone that was kind of like in the Kane, Kane signed it, um, Dane Hurst, like kind of the anyone that was big at that time in um, in surf lifesaving in Ironman, like I got them to sign my shirt. And, you know, it's really funny. It's um, probably laying around somewhere. But then I was just like, shit, I just want to be like these guys. And um, yeah. I was just, yeah, as I said, just became kind of obsessed and driven and wanted to achieve it. And, you know, that kind of just flowed on to training harder. I'd turn up to the, the Aussie titles and I'd watch the Opens and watch, you know, I just used to watch Zane and Kai a lot. Um, and just because they just absolutely dominated. So I was just like, whatever they're good at, I need to be good at that too. Um, and just tried to follow suit, really. Yeah, and you sort of saw, uh, I had the same experiences as a kid as well. I think going to the, one of the last rounds ever of the Uncle Toby's, I think it must have been at Manly. Might have been like 99 or 2000. And I walked around and I got like every single signature. Like I had like um, Carla Gilbert, Guy Andrews. Um, I had... Oh, yeah, like Kai Hurst, Shannon Eckstein, Zane Holmes. I remember carrying Kai's paddle up the beach at like the end of the race. And it was like the best thing ever. And like he took sort of gave me a bit of time and that sort of really inspired me to to keep pushing through those junior ranks. But it's um it's just such, such a good thing as a young kid to have those guys to aspire to. And I'm sure there's a lot of kids out there now who are aspiring to be like you. In those but in that first um win at the uh, Australian tiles in the junior Ironman, can you talk us through that race and talk it through talk us through what it was like to sort of stamp your authority on a on an Ironman title in your age group and how did that make you feel moving forward into trying to start to make the series and you start to like trying to go into the Nutri-Grain trials and all that sort of stuff? Mm. Um, yeah, I remember pretty clearly actually it was uh, under 17. So I won the under 17 and then I went under 19, under 19, like back to back. So those three back to back. Um, and it was board first and my board paddling had come a long way. Um, so all I knew was like, I just need a good start and get myself kind of up towards the front. Um, because I knew someone like Saxon Bird, um, and I think Tom O'Keefe actually at the time where they were swimming really, really quick. So I was like, I just need to make sure, you know, I don't leave it to a sprint finish because I, <laughs> I've never been good on sprint finishes. And um, yeah, so I got off the board kind of first and sprinted around, dove into the swim and just absolutely swam my heart out. And um, I, I remember looking around and seeing Saxon like closing in on me. But like by the time I kind of did that, like, my hand just touched the sand. And when I knew that, I was just like, it was the best feeling I've ever had purely because it was like, this race is pretty much over. I stood up and started, um, started running up the beach. And like right then and there, I was like, okay, this is, um, this is a, I guess, not a turning point, but like I can do something out of this. Um, and um, after that, it was just like, I finished Aussies and I think I had like a week off and then I started in like kind of the start of my winter training for um, pool swimming. So I was just like, oh, I just want to get faster and faster and faster. And um, my board paddling came on and then the next year we had ski as well. So I was like, you know, I started doing some kayaking and um, I just wanted to be as fast as I could on the ski. Um, and yeah, and, that, and that's when I kind of just knew, I'm like, if I can get good at ski, um, this will this can go. And then I guess, you know, I just kind of went on a bit of a tear for like four years. Um, just, yeah, going for it. I think I made my first Ironman series in there somewhere when I was 
18. Um, and that was just like, that was just a whole nother level again. I thought I was fit and fast and confident and, you know, I had one good swim leg in me and my board was okay. But then when it came to the ski, I just got absolutely smoked. And then you just go, holy crap, these guys are another five levels in front of me. So, you know, it's kind of back to the drawing board and I just wasn't much for doing anything in the gym because I was on a building site all day. So every time I was like, you know, lifting something, a bag of cement or something, I was doing a little bit of, you know, strength stuff. And, um, that's when I kind of got to the point where I was like, all right, when I finish my apprenticeship, um, I actually said to my dad, I said, look, I want to move to Queensland. That's where all the best guys are. And he's like, look, I totally understand what you're saying and I respect it, but let's just get this trade behind you because if you chase that dream and it doesn't work out or something happens, you don't have anything to fall back onto because I won't be able to forgive myself. So um, I finished up my trade. And that's when I just went, okay, bang, I'm moving to the, the Sunshine Coast and trained with Ali and Pooley and those guys and under Michael King. Yes, yeah, it's, it's nice. And then you, um, I actually remember jagging on you in the under 15 Ironman years ago. I think you ended up, you were leading and I was like way back all the way and I ended up second and you got like fourth, I think it was. And then you gradually just like got better and better and better. And then you, like, as you say, like in that second year 17s, you won that one. Then did you win the next two as well? Yeah, so the first year 19s, that was um, against Jake Holbach in Perth. So every every Australian Ironman title I've won has been in Perth. So, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so every time I go back there, I've just got a good feeling. I've just, the only, to be honest, I've had really great moments there and a terrible moment when I did my knee there. So, yeah, um, yeah and, and to be honest, I, uh, I haven't, I've never really, besides my knee, um, had a bad experience in Perth. I actually really love going there and racing there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a pretty cool spot to race. And I, I live here now, so I, I really enjoy it. It's pretty good for what I do now. There's, there's mm. been sort of four months of the year and I get to downwind pretty much every day, which is nice for me. And um, so you, you win those next two. And that's why I think, that, talking about Ali's interview before, when Ali beat you in that New South Wales Ironman, I think it was like a run up the beach or he just got on you or whatever it was. And he beat you. And that's why I remember it being such a big deal for me because I was like, Kendrick's the best. And then all of a sudden, like Ali sort of started to really come up from like that sort of um, like sixth sort of place that he was normally getting to, to win a New South Wales title. And I was like, well, that's, this is like going to be like a really cool battle to see. And then you eventually, you guys were battling for the next, well, since then, like for 10 years um, in that Ironman series. But we'll come, we'll come to that. But what was it like um, going into the Nutrigrain series for the first time? Um, as an 18-year-old, you said it was quite a challenge. There was like obviously a whole new level. Like the the racing was a lot faster. The guys were a lot fitter and more experienced. Um, how did you sort of develop your racing by getting into that series? And how was that experience uh, for you? Like obviously stepping it up and, and racing against the best of the best. Yeah, well, it was something that I always wanted to do. Um, whether I was ready or not, I always kind of go into something and just give it my all um but i had to really step up kind of like the physical game um you know i remember swimming out around a can and i tried to i think i was swimming out with zane holmes and i tried to hold my line and like he was obviously behind me mowing me down but i tried to hold my line and like kind of almost wrestle into the can and i was an 18 year old kid he was like 25 26 or something and he just absolutely smoked me like absolutely smoked me and then from then on i'm like you know what when I'm in a race, I'm never going to let someone kind of like swim over me again. And um, I guess to this day, I don't know, I've kind of stuck by that, really. Um, I race all that. I don't give anyone an inch. Um, 
you know, and, I, and that's where, you know, you've, when I'm racing guys like Ali, it's just like, you always know you're in for a dogfight because he's very similar. He won't give an inch, but he's probably, I don't know, can be a little too nice um, out there. I'll kind of do whatever it takes within reason to uh, get the job done. So from that, from, you know, when I first made the series, I kind of weren't that first, first year. I'm like, all right, you can't be pushed around out here. You need to hold your ground and do whatever it takes to, to get across the line because no one's going to win that race for you. Um, you've got to make it happen. So um, that's kind of the biggest thing I took out of it as a young kid. The following year after that first um, series, I went back to the trial and I was like kind of a bit confident. Little, not, I wouldn't say, yeah, a little bit cocky maybe. I was just young. I'd been in the series before. I was had a good run on the board and I kind of just felt like I'd, deserved a spot and I um, ended up missing out by like one point um, and I was just absolutely gutted and that was the year Ali made it so I was just like I was even more gutted because it was like we've had this rivalry and now he's made the series I've missed out and um, and then the following year just it just spurred me on to get back in there so um, and then yeah let the rivalry continue. But what What is it like having a rivalry like that? Um, obviously you're both two very competitive guys and you had a very competitive age group as well. Like you were sort of, you also had the Hayden Whites and uh, I think Dane Farrell was in your age group as well. And yeah. a couple other like Jacob Lowback and you sort of had this really fierce rivalry throughout your um, junior career. But then it sort of, as it progressed, it sort of became like between you and Ali. How much did that help spur you on? Because I know like the rivalries in my career have actually helped me become a better athlete. But at the time you don't realize that you're like, oh, this guy's like either taking something away or like, He's getting what I'm getting, and then I, then you beat him, and you're like, yeah, I, got, I finally got this one over them. What is it like having that rivalry, and how influential and helpful is it actually to push you as an athlete? Oh yeah, it's. Well, I, I guess you you take out uh, um, when I when I did my stint up at um, Malulaba, like that was like the hardest um, training squad to to be a part of, um, you know, in a physically way, physical way, purely because like every time we'd turn up to training, it was a race. Um, whether it was a, you know, a 15k speed paddle or it was like a, you know, a tough session in the pool or a run session, it was like every, every session was so hard. So that's where it, it gets you mentally fit and you know, I've got to be on like, you know, to win this race or to win this session or whatnot. Um, so, you know, having a, having an age group like that with, I remember, I remember Ali touched on it, but it was like, we had Ali, um, Whitey, myself, Lockie Tame. Um, Jacob Lowellback and then like you had you know guys like Saxon Bird, um, Dame Farrell. It was just a really really tough age group, um, and the majority of those guys are still going around um, today. So like I kind of you know we're we're pretty lucky actually to have had that age group. To I think it kind of gave us the foundation to race on. You know I guess that we have now. Yeah, and so you spent a lot of time at Collaroy as a nipper, and then you've. I think you moved to Manly, then you went to Malulaba, then you came back. Um, what was the um, process of going to Malulaba like? And I, I think you spent one or two seasons up there, and obviously you were in a really tough training squad. Like you went from, you've got like basically five or six of the best Ironmen in the country racing in the same squad under Michael King. How influential was that for your career? I know you spent about like, wake, like waking up and knowing you've got to perform because you're basically racing against the guys you're going to be racing against coming forward. And you hear guys like Leachy sort of used to say that he used to go to train just trying to mentally break people. Like, was it that type of training environment that it was like quite, not hostile, but like it was, it was an environment where like there's a lot of egos, there's a lot of confidence, there's a lot of like people who want to prove themselves each and every day. 
Like, was that was it quite a full-on environment to be a part of? Oh, it was extremely full-on. Um, <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, it wasn't at all hostile. Um, you know, I've, you know, I guess myself and you know those that whole crew that we trained with have seen the best and the worst sides of each other. Um, and I think that kind of creates a bit of a bond that you'll, you, you, I guess you'll have forever. Um, but at the same time, I think moving from Collaroy um, up to Malulaba, it changed the way I kind of viewed sport. Um, I started viewing it more as a job. Um, where back at Collaroy, I think it was just like ignorance is bliss, really. Uh, I just didn't care. I didn't, um, I loved what I was doing and I loved winning and, I put my foot on the line and actually give it absolute all. Where when I moved to Queensland, I um, started thinking of it more as yeah a job, and everything had to be perfect. All the ducks had to be in line to to get a result, rather than just kind of letting it happen. Um, don't get me wrong; it uh, it taught me how to train even harder. Um, it taught me that how much work you can actually do. I think we were doing like fifteen sessions a week and. Like our running sessions, we'd turn up and like we were just nervous. Like you could just see it after, like the, in the boys' faces. Like one of the sessions we used to do, I think, like it was pre-season, but once we started getting really fit, leading into kind of like the gold prep, you know, one of the sets was like six six one one k efforts on the four minutes, and um, you know we were coming in on like three minutes three oh five, like for all of them and like we we're running so fast and then you had someone like Alex Tibbetts who was just like man that guy was running another level again he was running sub three minutes for like all of them um but we'd finish and that was only Monday you know so we'd had like a crazy short rest swim set in the morning into like a tough ski into a run um that running set and then that was only Monday and then you had like the rest of the week ahead of you I remember you know someone like Josh Minogue like he would just absolutely bash himself um and then come friday he was just like you know he's like come on man (laughs) it was a skill session and the poor bloke was just so exhausted because he just gives his all like every session um so yeah man like it was such a as i said such a competitive um space but at the same time and it's a bubble um you kind of lose track on what's actually happening in the real world um, so I think that's why after, you know, I did two seasons up there. That's why I kind of, I had to come home. Um, I just got to that point where I just, I missed Sydney. I missed kind of doing other things, the hustle and bustle. And, you know, at the time I was, um, I think I was, I'd probably been dating Holly for like, oh, probably three years. And that's when I said, Hey, I'm moving to Queensland for two years. And she's like, what? Like, so, but she stuck by me rock solid. So, for, you know, big part was like, I wanted to obviously come home and, living back in Sydney but at the same time I just you know I wanted to be back with her and with my family and what was it like training under someone like Michael King like I know you just said like obviously it was quite a competitive environment I remember running against Alex Tibbetts in the Coolangatta Gold and just smoked me in that final run leg so I know exactly what you're talking about with that those those running sessions but um, what was it like training under someone like Michael King and, and what is his training style like that sort of really brought the best out of so many good athletes yeah well I think you know I guess the biggest thing um that I took out of him is he knows how to get the best out of you. Um, and he will do it in a way where you'll outwork everyone, but also he'll instill that confidence in you having done that work. So that's kind of one of the biggest traits that I've, I've carried on into not just my sporting 
I guess, career, but into like life outside sport is that, you know, if you do the work and you put the hard yards in, surround yourself with good people who genuinely care, you'll succeed. And, and so he has obviously a really good uh, ability to get the best out of people. And he sets that sort of foundation, not only for sport, but for life. And he sort of has that probably a bit more holistic approach that you've seen someone with a lot of different coaches these days. Um, you come out of Mulba, would you start to get good results um, at Mulba? You're obviously already winning Australian t- titles in the juniors, but what was it like when you first went to Opens? Because that's when you were actually at Mulba. And what were your results looking like? Because you, I know you had like a second or a, a third or a fifth in a couple of series. Um, and when was your first win in one of the new Grand Series races? Um, I guess how might like I guess the difference between um, you know being in 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 Queensland like training with those Queensland clubs compared to down here. Um, when I was at Collaroy and stuff, Aussies was the one. You know, Australian titles was the one. Where when I moved up there, it was more about the gold and the series. Um, and Aussies was a big part of it. Um, not. Not, nothing like those two. They were like, okay, A, we do the gold, and then B, we do the series, and then whatever happens after that, if you want to just do team events, you can do that. Um, so my kind of priorities started to shift a bit, um, which I kind of didn't really like um, because I used to, I love, I've always had great memories of all the Aussie titles. So, and that's when, um, uh, yeah, in the series, I started. I think I podiumed, um, I was leading a series and then I got injured. And then the following year I came back and that was when I won my first round, um, was it Surface Paradise? I was, um, it was like a, kind of like an enduro format, um, in and out through the break. The first leg I got absolutely pumped, I lost my ski. I was about, I think I ended up being like a minute and a half behind the leaders. So like I could see the jet ski with the camera on them filming them and I was like coming in and they were already going back out. And I was just like, you know, I had my brother as my handler and he was just like, yeah, mate, you're doing well. Just hang in there. And I'm like, dude, I'm sitting dead last by like over a minute. Like, and that's a long time in a, yeah. in a man race. And he's like, and he just kind of hung in there, Kat gave me my drinks and was just doing, you know, sticking to the process. And then all of a sudden, and um, started getting a couple of good waves. I held a good body surf wave all the way through the gutter. And then I was like, I'm pretty close to these guys. And, um, and then running around for the last leg, it was just myself and Kai. Um, ended up overtaking him and we had a swim leg and a ski leg to finish and um, in the swim I was like I knew I'd sw- I was swim fit because Kingy had put us through absolute hell through these swim sessions so I knew I was swim fit whether I could stay with Kai was another question but uh, I just hung in there and we body surfed the same wave together and went out on the ski and where I got hammered on the first leg I just kept sticking to that line for some reason um, I just kept gravitating towards it and I just stuck to it and um, I ended up sneaking over this bomb. He kind of got hit and it gave me like, you know, 30, 40 metres on him. And um, I turned the can, raced, rated to the beach and um, yeah, ended up running up the beach and I'm, I was just like, holy crap, this is my first win in, a, in the series. Uh, I just remember running up the beach and seeing my dad standing there. So I kind of just like grabbed him, gave him a hug, um, saw Holly, I think I gave her a kiss and then just crossed the line. and. Uh, one thing that, stu- that, that stuck with me, though, forever was um, how happy Kai was when he crossed the line to see me win. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess as a kid, you know, I'd grown up idolising this guy. I wanted to be like him to then racing against him and kind of not being near him to then being a rival of him and then becoming close mates with him. Um, that, for me, I never thought in, in my whole career that, that would have ever happened as a kid. Um, and then now to this day, mate, we catch up weekly against the paddle and, you know, 
for some, and you know, for when I won the series, he was my handler at the last, the last round. So like we've shared some pretty epic, epic things. Yeah, it's pretty cool to sort of meet your idol. I think I read somewhere as well before we came on air that you actually roomed with him on your first ever Nutrigrain um, series trip. Is that, would that be right? Yeah. So we were down at, um, I think it was Portsea or somewhere like that. <laughs> I was this young kid and they're like, all right, you're rooming with Kai, Shannon Eckstein and Clayto. And I was just like, oh shit, okay. No worries. <laughs> go with them. Um, so for me, that was, that was bloody awesome, man. I get to, I got to kind of, you know, have a, first-hand view at like how they prepared and you know what they did the night before or the day before and um you know i guess for guys like kai and um clayto it was completely different to what someone like shannon did the night before you know so i think kai uh clayto ended up at the pub and you know ended up coming the next day and nearly winning and you know shannon and i were in tucked in bed early like it was um you know totally different um preparation um strategies that's for sure and speaking of preparation strategies, what does your preparation strategy look like now before before a race, before a big event, like something like the Australian titles or before a Nutrigrain race? Like, what are you doing to make sure that you get the best out of yourself on the day? Yeah, I, going, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, if I haven't done the work leading into it, like, I can do whatever I want. Like, I can do the best thing possible for my prep, but if I haven't done the work, it's not going to mean nothing. So, for me, it's more just doing what I want to do. So, like, I'll you know, I'll, I'll turn up to an, an Australian titles or a Nutrigrain series and yeah, the nerves are always there. Um, but, you know, if you've done the work, you can kind of, you have that self-belief. But, you know, if I want to, you know, have a beer the night before or, or a couple of beers or a while, whatever it might be, I'll do that. Um, you know, if I don't feel like sleeping, going to bed early, I'll just watch a movie and when I fall asleep, I fall asleep. It's very, um, whatever works for me. If I, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm a mad fan of burgers and pizza. Um, so like if i feel like a pizza the night before a, you know a big race i'll have it um because i know i'll be able to eat it so mate, it's it's very relaxed and, and it kind of there's nothing really regimented about my prep it's um the lead up all my training is very i guess regimented and to the t uh, but when it comes to race time it's like this is the time to have fun and you know let loose i think that's super important as well and uh, something that i found as well that you can't really have obviously you do your work, but then you can't really have a, a proper preparation for any race because it, something always goes wrong. It's never like a clear cut procedure. Like you never, you never get to wake up and have the coffee that you want or the, or the meal that you want, you really want to have before you race or the night before you may not be able to get to the certain restaurant to have the meal that you want or you can't cook or there's just so many things that come down to those different elements that you have to, to deal with at the time. So the less that it's for me, the less that it's structured, the easier it is to perform because then you're just so much more relaxed. I find on race day too, you always want to feel amazing on race day, but you never do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, like I normally get my best results when I'm kind of a bit fatigued. Like after, you know, a couple of days of racing, I always race better on that last day. Um, you know, I always find if you try and do everything perfect and want to wake up that, that finals day or the, the day where it counts and you, you know, you're like, okay, I want to be feeling perfect. You never do. Um, so I kind of, there's no perfect recipe. It's just, you know, if you've done the work, you know what you're doing and you, and you stick to a plan, like that's all you can really do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to approach it. And we, we were obviously talking about the Nutrigrain series and you had your first win. And then ultimately, I guess, after that first win, your goal would be to win more and then to obviously eventually win the series. 
Um, it took you a long time to do that, but can you talk us through a little bit of the process and the years of sort of finishing either on the podium in the series or just off the podium and like what you learned along the way that eventually allowed you to get to that ultimate goal? Because there must've been times when you're like, oh, I'm never going to achieve it. I'm, I'm never going to be able to, to reach my goal. Like what was like the whole process like? Because sometimes the process and the journey is, is more exciting than the, the actual achievement. Hmm. Well, I guess the year that I was leading the series and then did my knee um, was the closest I came to winning one. Um, and then uh, this year when I did win it, the two things I guess that I had in, that those years had in common was it just happened organically. Um, I wasn't forcing it. Um, you know, I started this series with the, I did the Cooley Gold and I finished 10th. Um, and then the next round at, at Burley, I finished fourth. I think I had maybe one or two podiums. So I was like, oh, I can't really win a series with that. And then I just kept turning up and chipping away and only controlling what I could control. And then that last round, it came down to myself and Tannen. And all I had to do was make that last race with him. And pretty much I'd won the series um, where, you know, he ended up getting bumped in the first race. So it was like, okay, cool. You know, like it just happened. I didn't try and do anything differently where those, I guess, eight years, seven, eight years in between, I was always, you know, talking to different coaches and mapping a plan to win the series and this and that. And it just never happened. You know, I was yeah. trying so hard to go out there and win races and, um, you know, I guess win a series and be consistent and this and that and, and counting point scores. And it was just like, it just didn't work like that. And I think I just stripped it back to basics. And that's where, you know, surrounding yourself with, I guess, the right coaches, um, you know, the, the guys at Manly Surf Club are just all about having a good time, training hard, racing hard, and then, I guess, celebrate hard with each other, you know? And that there, for me, is just, that creates a culture, that sort of stuff. Like, you cannot enforce a culture. You can't enforce, I guess, respecting coaches and this and that, that, that I guess, haven't, I guess, really been there and done it and, and, and understand what it takes to be there. Yeah, so we've got the, the, the photo obviously up on yeah, your Instagram up in the background. And that, that what what is that? Like, that's a pretty iconic photo, I guess, for you forever now. Like, you've finally achieved that dream that you probably had since you were like 11 years old when you started the, the surf sports and you sort of gradually moved your way through. You had a few wins along the way, a few losses. But so you're looking now 20 years later and when you first joined the surf club, you've won the Nutrigrain Series, which is something that you probably aspired to be. Like, what is what is that feeling like? relief <laughs> um, uh, yeah it's one of those things man like it's it's gone in a blink of an eye um it, it, it comes and goes so quick and those all those years of hard work and everything that i've put in and um you know it was all i guess for for that moment um and aussie titles i guess is so different because you know i guess there's 16 guys in the final that can potentially win and you know sometimes you do require a bit of luck to win it when it yeah. comes to winning a series over five or six rounds, not much luck comes into it. You have to be consistent to win. Um, and for me, like that there, I was just like, I remember looking at that um, trophy just going, oh my God, like the amount of time and effort. It was just, it's actually, look, you know, it's funny. It's right here. I'll have to stop the share and we'll get it up. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so it's right there on the mantelpiece. It is, it's on my desk. So I... Uh, I brought it home um, and Holly's like, where are you going to put that thing? It's massive. Like, get it out of the way. And I'm like, I'm putting it straight on my desk. Um, 
So yeah, every time I'm working and I look at it, it's like, you know, obviously brings back memories, but um, oh, I just, it's, it's very hard because there's so many emotions that kind of go into it. And I've been through like a massive roller coaster, like any athlete when it, when it comes to trying to achieve something like this. And, um, you know, I guess stepping back and I guess ref, kind of reflecting on it, the biggest, one of the biggest things I took out of it was I've only ever had a really small group of, you know, a network, a support network around me. Um, you know, and when you win something like that, I guess you do get a lot of pats on the back um, from people at the time, but they weren't kind of willing to stick by you that whole journey. Um, and for me, it was just like looking at it, just going, you know what? I could probably count on two hands. Probably there's probably 10 people that have been with me through this whole journey. Um, and that's kind of what means the most really to me. It is interesting, obviously, having those different support structures as you're going through your career and you're sort of leaning on different people at different times. And But you have those key people that are sticking by you the whole way through. Like even like someone like me who travels around a lot, like there's the key people I call and the key people I speak to when I have good races and bad. And um, I have a, like a great team. Like I think I posted last night, there was like 10 of us, I think, in France, like last year when I had my first um, win in the Euro Tour. And it was just like, there's always those key people. Who are those key people for you that you think have really stood by you over those last few years? And, and how important has that been for you to reach this goal? Because as you say, it's, as we say, it's been 20 years for you to achieve this goal, which is a long time, like 10 years since you've been a professional, but it doesn't just start there. It starts like well, way back when your brother pulled you out of the pool. And um, then you, obviously then there was that journey, obviously to you, for you to get to be able to actually go back in the water and enjoy the ocean again. And then, through the juniors, you're like making um, New South Wales teams, you win New South Wales tyres and you're winning Australian tyres and you make your first series. And then you do 10 years of the series, you like have to sacrifice like your relationship and your family and friends. You move up to Malula Bar, like you spend two years there flogging yourself and um, learning to appreciate new things. You come back and like you've got all these new things you've learnt and you, you take that and make it into your own training and you try and really make the, yourself the best you can. But then it takes another like four or five years to actually to get your ultimate goal is something that you've been aspiring to, to do for so long. Mm. Um, who are those people who've really stood by you for that period of time and how important have they been for you? Oh yeah, mate. It's, um, I guess for, for me, I couldn't do it without them. Um, you know, first, I guess, first and foremost, like it wouldn't, none of this would happen without, you know, my parents, obviously. Um, but like, they're just, they kind of, they're there through thick and thin. Um, they're always there as a sounding board. Um, as a kid, obviously a lot more, um, you know, they would, you know, they, they would take you to training. They'd come with you to, you know, the Aussie titles and the state titles and they'd just be there. You'd live in and out of home and it, like, it was just the best thing. And, um, and my, my two brothers, um, you know, I guess my old brother, Howard, he was just always like probably my number one supporter. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I just kind of got a bit of a goosebumps there when I kind of said it, um, purely because, He's one person who's probably more stoked than me um, when I win a race than I am. Um, you know, he was always, um, you know, would would watch it, watch live videos and, you know, I'd get back and he'd go, yeah, mate, you probably should have gone a little bit further left on the ski or something, you know, like, I'm like, okay, thanks, mate. He's always giving advice and finding ways to make me better and, uh, you know, would always try and just, just pick me up when I'm kind of down. Um, so, and then, then I've got Bart, my younger brother, who I, I do did everything with, you know, him and I, when we were, we were younger kids, like 
we were just kind of inseparable. We'd go to training together and um, like I'd drive us to, to swimming training when I got my license and, you know, he, oh, it was just, it was just bloody awesome, mate. We'd race together, travel together. And, you know, he's, he's one kid that I would just absolutely go to war for. Um, and then, so like, you know, when I won my first Aussie title, when I won that over in um, my open one in, in Scarborough two years ago, he was filming in the water and um, he just like kind of lost his shit when he, um, when he saw I'd won and he kind of like ditched the rest of the race and swam in and then like ran up the beach in his wetsuit with his flippers on and kind of like just, just tackled me. And um, that there, I was just like, oh, fuck, that's pretty special. Um, so obviously like, you know, my two brothers and mum and dad, but then throughout this whole journey, like I've, you know, I've been with Holly now, my fiance now for geez, 10 years. So go back 10 years was kind of, that's how long I've been trying to win a series for. So I guess when you look at it, she's been with me the whole the whole journey. Um, she lives with me every every single day. She she knows the exact emotions that that I go through. I get up in the morning, I go training. She knows my program to a T. Um, but is a huge um, I guess influence on you've got to have balance. Um, you know, oh, there'll be times where I'm like, no, I need to sleep, I need to rest. That's what the other guys are doing. She's like, you know what? Like stuff the other guys. You're different to that. You know, like you need to have balance in your life and. You know, she just, it's just a massive, you know, support. Um, I guess that's why I asked her to marry me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then, and then her family too. Um, you know, her, her, her mom and dad are just unbelievable um, support. But then I guess when it comes to coaches, um, you know, my coach now, Mitch Roberts, he, man, he's been a, like a mate for probably the best part of, I don't know, since I was, before I moved to Mooloolaba. So, um then you know we always bounce stuff off each other and he did a lot of training with michael king so he got his i guess um experience from him and one thing i guess with mitch is that he just doesn't have an agenda um when it comes to to coaching another agenda it's just like hey mate i just want to get the best out of you possible like i don't want to look good i don't want you to mention me i don't like i don't want to be kind of known as your coach it's just like let's just turn up get the get the work done and put our foot on the line and absolutely give it everything. So, you know, like that's what I guess opened my mind to, to joining Manly Surf Club is like these guys genuinely give a shit about me um, as a person. And, you know, yeah, you come and join the club and, you know, we might do better in team events and this and that, but that's not the objective. Like we don't chase point scores. We don't chase victories. It's just turn up, get the work done, have a good time and results will follow. So that kind of network really there's, my family, Holly's family, Holly, and my coach. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's pretty similar for me actually as well. There's like obviously those key people who've been there for you for such a long period of time, and you really appreciate it. Like every time you said someone's name, I sort of had someone to relate it to, which was nice for me to have that experience right now as well. And just sure, and you can sort of see how important they are to you as you are talking. Like it is such a team. It's a team team thing. Like it's an individual sport. And when you get on the line, it's all about you, and you've got to make sure you get the job done. But there's all those people who are part of your team that you probably don't realize until you actually think about it. You're like, actually, like if they weren't there, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So it's like, it's really cool to hear that you've got those sort of strong networks behind you and it's really pushing you forward. But we were speaking, obviously um, you were speaking about like Manly Surf Club and enjoying that, that um, club environment. You, you've loved obviously racing at Aussies since you were a young kid. That was always what you idolized to be like. And I wanted to bring up um, you winning, I think it was the Australian title in 2018, the Ironman, which is probably as big or bigger to you um, 
when you're looking at your your achievements, like compared to like the neutral game to the um, Australian title, like here it is here. What was it like sort of going into this race? And this is in 2018. You're at Karawa Beach, one of the, I guess, the, the first places you ever raced Aussies. I was at Scarborough. I was at Scarborough. Yeah. Oh, of course, you won all your Australian titles at Scarborough. Silly me. Yeah. I wasn't there, so I can't remember. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through this race and tell us a little bit about what, what your emotions were and, and how, how you guess you were feeling at, at different points? Um, I guess I was like from the get go, I was just on. Um, like if you, it's funny, I love watching the start. So like if you rewind it, I'll, um, I'll talk you through the start because I was like, mentally I was just in the zone from the very beginning, right? So yeah. kind of in this, there's Shannon Eckstein um, on, off the very start, you'll see the back. So keep, keep playing. And then once we start, so not this frame, I'll show you the next one. So pause it now. So that's me over here. So there's in front of screen now, you've got like Shannon, Shannon there, uh, Shannon, Ali, Max Brooks, and then myself. Yeah. Um, and then as I go over this wave, I kind of, as I did the start, I tack to the left and then cut back right. And you see these guys, they get hit straight away off this, um, this shore here. And that opens up a ski length lead for me right yeah. there. So they, like, I kind of edged them straight into that and then I got away clean and they all got hit. Yeah. Um, but I guess a race like that, man, I was on from, I guess, the start of the, the carnival. I went back to Scarborough. I had a really good, you know, feeling going into it. I love that place. Um, and I just had everything dialed. I was waking up each morning, going for a swim, doing a warm-up, grabbing brekkie, like, doing everything right. And... Um, it was funny actually because like two, probably like two, uh, the day before probably the final, um, Hollywood, like we were staying at the same hotel as where Shannon was staying and um, Holly would see his missus, um, his wife each morning or whatnot during the day. And um, they just chat like, you know, how's Kendrick going? How's Shannon going? Rah, rah. And then, um, yeah. you know, she kind of let slip one morning that like, you know, Shannon's saying that Kendrick's the one to beat. And um, as soon as I kind of, when Holly told me that, she said, you know, Shannon, you know, reckons you're the one to beat. Um, I knew that, like, Shannon never says that stuff. You know, and if he's saying that, he, um, yeah, I guess he, he, he believes I'm going good. And that kind of just spurred me on even more. So um, when it came to this day, I kind of just had that in my mind. Like, you're the one to beat. Um, you know, everyone's trying to beat you. And let, let's just, you know, I guess, give it absolutely everything. And um, Go out there, do what you can do, and if it doesn't fall your way, well, it just wasn't meant to be. Geez, you really take off here. You're straight off the straight off the the, the gun, and you you're winning the ski leg here by probably about two or three lengths. What would yeah. be like? Because obviously, there's a lot of adrenaline going through you. You've raced like all week. You start on Wednesday and you race through to Sunday. You're a bit yeah. more tired, but you said that you sort of thrive on that. You sort of love that big occasion on the Sunday, and you've you've done all that work. What is it, um, what is that sort of emotions going through in this first leg? And there's guys, obviously, I'm not sure if they're catching waves on you here. Yeah, they were, yeah. Yeah. I just, um, for me, it was like my race plan from the start was go out hard and hang on. Um, and every leg, you'll see someone comes from behind and, and catches a wave on you. And then I try and extend that lead again, and then they catch a wave again. And for me, it was like we came round, um, you know, towards the end of the race. And it was just like, someone's got to win this race. You know, it's, it's up for grabs. It's still going, you know? So like, and um, 
yeah, it's more just, it's very hard, like, in the moments like this to be present. Um, yeah. You know, it's like in a race. I guess your races could be a bit different. The longer distance ones, it's, you know, like a pull out a goal or a longer race, you, you've got time to settle in. Where these, you don't. You know, it's yeah. like you're either up there or you're not. And that could determine your race. Yeah, well, I can I compare like in sub racing, like I guess the distance races are kind of like the cool and gutter golds, and then the the technical style races are kind of like this is probably where I don't do as well. Um, but you just you can't really afford to make too many mistakes. You've got to be on it the whole time. You've got to be making sure that you're like having that sort of you're above you're above threshold the whole time. You just have to keep punishing yourself the whole way through, and you're you're like your heart's in your mouth. You're really burning, but you're just trying to keep pushing through and pushing through. So you're coming through into the swim leg. Uh, this is you taking the lead here. Yeah. And I think that's TJ Hendy, okay. Kane Eckstein. Yeah. So you got obviously like, and then you got Shannon yeah. coming up on the rear yeah. here as well. And then you got Ali maybe on the other side. On the other side, yeah. So you've got all these guys, maybe some you've idolized and some that are coming up. And then you've got Ali who's always been there next to you in these type of races. Mm. What are you thinking at this point? Like you're swimming around, you're going around to the second leg of the Ironman. And you know that this is where you probably can make the most ground if you're trying to get ahead, like, or coming in and getting a wave. Like, are you thinking about your race plan? Are you thinking about making sure that you're, you're hitting the can on point? Like, what are you, what's going through your mind at this point? Well, right here, I knew that um, the only people that could swim with me in this race um, would be Shannon or Ali. Um, I knew, like, you know, with someone like TJ, he went out very hard in the ski, so I knew that he would be pretty gassed going into this swim. So for me, it was just like, I need to um, really try and, like, you know, I guess tighten the screws here. Someone like Kane, you're never going to shake him. So it's kind of like, just do it, just see how much damage, like, or see how much you can kind of hurt a guy like that in my strongest leg. So I just kind of, I went for it um, in this swim. And I, if I catch a wave and get away, well, then it's going to be very hard for them to paddle you down in the flat. Um, but here, like, this is where I kind of just put my head down and just went for it. Um, as I said, like, you can start to see Shannon and Ali coming up. Um, you know, making their way up through the pack and closing the gap a bit. Um, so for me here, like you can see, I kind of just kicked probably like, you know, half a metre clear of Kane. Yeah. Um, and I kind of felt that. And that's when I just went, all right, I've got to just go for it. Just like, let's just, let's just go for it here. Get to the beach and just one leg left. So this is the first time I'm actually watching this. So I'm actually, I, have, I'm, I haven't seen this before. So it's cool to see what ha actually happens and you walking me through it. Do you know how like sometimes you watch something, you know, you know what happens, but you're still really nervous for like the people that you're like wanting yeah. to win at the same time because you don't know what elements are going to get thrown their way. Was there anything that happens coming in here that got, you sort of went, oh, this could be like the make or break? Yeah, well, I got to a point where I knew that I'm too close to shore and I'm not going to get a wave. Um, so, like, you can see the bank that's starting to stand up on the bank. I'm like, just get to that bank as quick as you can. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I, you, you'll see it in a sec where, like, right here, I almost get a lift out of this, but it doubles up. See that yeah. there? I get a lift out of it, and then I just kind of I knew it was, I knew it was shallow enough, so I kind of stood up, and that's when you kind of see, like, all these guys are on this wave here. Oh. See that? You know, yeah. Like six guys or whatever, and then I had to pick it up broken. And so you go, all that hard work has just gone down the window, out the window. Um, so that's when you, oh, you're kind of running around here, right? I'll see Dan Collins will run up and I'll run around um, behind him. Um, and there's Shannon on the other side. So I knew this is going to be really, this, and there's Ali and Kane and, and TJ. And I knew that this is going to be, someone's got to win it from here. So this is where I went, someone's got to win. Um, and I just grabbed my board and 
kind of just tried to execute like a, a clean start really that was more the that was more the objective i just wanted to get on get clean um get through the shory on i guess unscathed and i know shannon will always try and get you inside before yeah. that first board so i just my thing was just i need to hold my ground so that's me in the very middle yeah, Jake just smashed him off the line there. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, you can see him. See, normally he would go for your inside and get on my yeah. inside wash. So I knew I'd, I'd have to put it in for at least, you know, 50, 100 metres so he doesn't get that inside. So right here, he'd normally grab your inside. So yeah, I held him out. And then you got Ali. So I, I didn't really know what was going on behind me, but I put a lot of effort in so Shannon couldn't get my inside. And then I kind of dropped to my stomach for a bit and um, started to rest like I'm doing here. Yeah. Um, and didn't realise how quickly Ali was gaining. So Ali's in third now. Um, and you see it by the time we get to the board can, he's on Shannon's tail. So like, I was like, okay, I need to go again. Um, but then I yeah, got... Yeah, wow, he's flying. And then I was like, oh no, now I've got to kind of try and out paddle Shannon and Ali, two of the best board paddlers under fatigue and in, and in chop back to the beach. So that was a pretty nervous um, feeling. I knew exactly the line that I was going to take going in. Yeah. So for me, it was just like, all you've got to do is just catch one bump at a time. Yeah. So you see Ali there, he's up on the tail. Like, It looks like it's a north wind. Is that right? Oh, jeez. You'll see in a sec when we start coming to the beach. Um, yeah. It looks like opposite to what it normally is over in WA, which is quite weird because normally it's a southwester. It looks like a norwester. Anyway, yeah. that's quite totally irrelevant. Um, keep, yeah. keep talking us through it. Yeah. So here it was just, I started feeling a few lumps under me. Um, Oh, like, look at Ali. Look at him here. Yeah, he's flying on the board there. You're sort of coming into this final stage and you've got Kendrick out in front and Shannon and Ali just like hot on your hammer and anything can happen after just like watching that swim come in. See, they would so, get a bump here and then I would get one. So I was always one bump, just almost half a bump in front of them. Yeah. So this you've really taken that one. I got a really long run out of that. And... um and this is where, like, this is the line that I wanted. See where it doubled up where Ali was there? And over here, it's a bit shallower. Yeah. Then I ended up getting a little wave to myself. And that's when I knew. I was just like, you beauty. Yeah. And what was that feeling like, being able to do that on the Sunday of Aussies? You've, you've thought about this moment every day in training for, like, the last at least 10 to 15 years. So like, what that, was this like? See that? See my board, the blue and white one? Yeah. So, the funny thing was, that board is what I won my two... Yeah, two of my junior titles on ten years prior. <laughs> yeah, right. So you didn't, so you didn't change your board. You kept, you brought that board back. Brought it out of retirement for this race. How's that? Yeah, um, and, that, and that's yeah. a pretty cool top three. You've got Ali's guys been there your whole career. You have got Shannon, who's arguably the best of the best, and you got Max Brooks, I think it was, and then Matt Bevilacqua, and then you got a bunch of guys streaming to the finish line now. Um, what it was like? What's it, what's it like to win the Australian Ironman title for those people out there that are listening? Because honestly, not many people have done it. Um, oh man, it's like just for, as again for me, it was a, as a relief. Um, you could see it when I grabbed that banner. I kissed the banner because I knew that it was just something I'd been working towards for so bloody long. Um, yeah. And I, to be honest, I kind of had forgotten what it felt like to win one. Um, as I said, it was ten years prior. Uh, oh, that was, yeah, uh, there's my brother here after he'd yeah. come out of the water. Um, you know, so it was, it's just one of those things, like, you've just been through, there's Bevy, like, he was, Bevy was super stoked for me, and right there, I just didn't really know what it could, well, I knew what had happened, but it hadn't sunk in yet, obviously, and I'd just gone like, yes, I've just ticked the box, and it, 
I've, I've what been wanting to tick for a long time. And, um, you know, someone like, you know, you look at Ali there, he, you know, he, he knows what, you know, we've been through to, to, to get to those points. And, um, you know, every time I see him win a cool and get a gold, I'm stoked for him. You yeah. Know? Very similar with, with, with that um, example there. Um, there's actually a, it's funny, I showed Ali not long ago, but there's a video of him and I actually racing over in Perth in, a, in our under 19 Ironman title. I'll send it, I'll send it through to you just so you can have a look at it. But it's, yeah, just bring back memories, man. And it just shows how close Ali and I have been through our whole career. And it was a very similar race to that. Yeah. And then just probably just talking through your emotions right now and just really stoked, obviously. But is it, is it a feeling of relief like you spoke about with the um, Nutrigrain Series title as well? Or was this more of like a, a sense of jubilation? As, as I said, mate, like Aussies has always been the pinnacle for me. Um, I've always, it's just eluded me that Australian Ironman title. I've had an under 17 and under 19. I just want that, wanted that open one. Um, and I just, I wanted it so bad. Um, and as I said, I just didn't force it. Um, but in the, in the years prior, I'd either been in a different program, surrounded by different, you know, coaches or whatever, who want, probably wanted it to happen more than I did. And I started forcing it. And it just, it wasn't the right time. You know, I wasn't probably ready to win one. And then once I stripped it all back and just cut loose of all baggage and all that sort of jazz i um that's when it happened so for me it was like oh thank god i traveled you know up to queensland for a few years did a bit of time at other clubs for a few years training harder and this and that and then i strip it all back to basics and move back to you know the i guess a, a local amazing culture club it just happens um yeah you know so i think at the end of the day there is no I guess, silver bullet that just makes things happen. It's just like surround yourself with good people who care, work hard and, and enjoy the ride. And um, if it's meant to be, it'll be. If it's not, well, it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and it's obviously a great story. And I've obviously been in the in the shadows in a way like of your career because we've obviously had a lot of um, different uh, experiences, not only racing, but traveling together and, and our families are very close. So it was obviously cool from afar to see you be able to achieve that because I know how much hard work and time and effort you had put into something like that. And then obviously the series this year as well. Mm -hmm. So it was really good to see, but with the, with the kids out there who are maybe listening or watching to this, I know there's a lot of those guys out there who are aspiring to be like someone like you now, which is kind of cool because you're aspiring to be like someone like Kai and you spoke about beating him and then being able to achieve this Aussie title and um, Nutrigain series title. What would you say to, to them to be able to achieve these types of achievements and being able to really push themselves to that next level? Um, I would, I guess, A, surround yourself um, with good people. Um, you know, don't go, I guess, it, it's easy to say now because I've been there and I guess made the mistakes, but do your best to not chase the bright lights. Um, there is a lot of clubs out there that will promise you the world. Um, anyway, you get swallowed up in their big program and, you know, you start maybe winning a couple of team events, which you think is kind of cool at the time, but deep down you've got this desire to win an Australian title or whatnot, and um, that might not be the right place for you. Um, so for me, it's like there's so much support and advice out there. Like, you know, the amount of, I guess, messages and stuff I get from kids or people over in Ireland or Spain or whatnot saying, hey, man, like, I'm trying to put together an Ironman program for next season. Can you help me do it? Um, and I always reply and, and try and help them out. Um, so I think, you know, with, with 
like back, as I said, back at Collaroy, you know, where I've won pretty much every single race that I've ever won with, with all my team events, with all my individual events, if it's not rocket science, you know, you go there, you have fun, you train hard um, and with the boys and really race for your team. Um, that's how kind of results come, you know, don't, I guess at the end of the day, yeah, don't chase the bright lights because it's not what you think it's going to be. Yep, and making sure that you're surrounding yourself with, with great people who are pushing you forward and, and not trying to drag you down and just pushing yourself to, towards your passions and achieving your goals are the main things because at the end of the day, when you look back, you want to you wanna have those, all those experiences and then have the, the results to sort of stamp and go, okay, all those decisions were worth it. Like I made all mm-hmm. these hard decisions at the time and in your gut, you probably knew they were the right ones to make, but you weren't seeing the... The, I guess the results straight away and you had to gradually grind and be persistent and you sort of were pushing for so long and um, being able to obviously achieve those great heights is obviously really fulfilling and relieving for you as well. Yeah, like, man, it's, as I said, it's just, it's a lot of time and effort, but, you know, when it comes to like, you know, the younger generation these days and, and I guess kids like that, it's, I don't, I'm not big on trying to get kids to join my surf club or other surf clubs or whatnot, because I don't want to try and, I guess, promise them something that may not happen. Um, For me, it's like, I want you to just go where you're happy and where, you know, what culture fits you best, you know? And I think at the end of the day, when, when, when people start promising you stuff that, well, no one can promise you anything, you know? So when people start saying, Hey, come to my surf club, we'll, we'll get heaps of medals and this and that. It's just like, okay, well, for one, take a step back. What is your goal? And then kind of find different ways to achieve it. And speaking about goals, what was, what was the ways that you went about trying to achieve your goals? Was it more about um, seeing that long-term goal of like winning the, the series and the Australian Ironman title? Or was it step-by-step step you were trying to win different events or you were trying to do your best in a team event or a board relay or a chaplain and then you were going trying to do your best at Aussies? Like what were the little steps that you were taking along the way and how do you make yourself accountable towards your goals? Um, I guess goals are a, a thing I only kind of just that happened towards the end of my career, really, um, towards like the later stages. Um, normally it was just, all right, I'd turn up, I want to win the race. Um, you know, you ask any, I guess, young kids these days, what, what's your goal? They're like, no, nah. they turn up, train hard and they just want to win. That's it. They want to win. But when you get to a point where everyone is so almost level, you know, when I'm racing the Matt Pools, the Alley Days, the Shannon Eckstein, it's like everyone's got that same goal they want to win. So it's like now it's more about how can I pick apart my weaknesses and then turn that into a bit of a goal to make better and turn that into a strength. Um, yeah, like I'd love to, I guess, another goal would be to I'd love to win a cool and get a gold. Um, however, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't doubt myself. I just know how good someone like Ali is. Um, and I'd love to have an awesome prep and him and I and, you know, someone like Kane Eckstein and the best of the best actually go at it. That would be yeah. a, a pretty cool thing. Um, having achieved, you know, two of my main goals I set out to win, to win in my career, like I've done them. So now it's more just like, let's have kind of some fun and um, put on some good races, you know. Have you won a World Ocean Man title as well? So that was more, I've raced for the Australian... Australian team. Yep. Uh, so the world titles, you got the interclub and then you got the, I guess the world titles. So that was kind of the title that that's the title that I won. Um, yeah. So I guess yeah, some classified as a world title, some don't, um, mate, it all depends on you know, how you view it. 
Well, it's as far as I'm concerned, I guess it's a world title because you're, you're picked and selected in that Australian team and you, you get to yeah. race against the best of the other countries. So I don't think it's anything to scoff at. So you have you have that as well. And then you have a, I know you've won a, a junior, a, sorry, a short course, go and get a gold and a, a Molokai title as well. Can you mm. talk a little bit about through those two races and, and your decisions on why, I guess, you did those different classes and how was it to win those races as well? Because everything's a stepping stone to like next victories as well. Like if you have a win in a certain category or, uh, a different race or like going overseas and competing in it, something that's completely different and taking, changing your mind off what you're used to focusing on. Um, how important are those sort of type of victories to stepping stones and foundation blocks to eventually winning Australian Ironman titles and neutral gain series? Yeah, it's just, I guess like we do so much training. Like you look at, if you dedicate, you know, pretty much your life to being an athlete and your season only goes for, you know, Eight, eight, ten months of a year or whatnot. There's all those. There's still those other parts where, like, you're still so fit and like, don't just limit yourself to one thing. Um, yeah, we're good at prone board paddling. We, you know, we're good at surf ski paddling. So why not go and challenge yourself in a different way, doing something different? Um, you know, I know I haven't done, I guess, the same amount of work as like a Corey Hill on an ocean ski, but doesn't mean that I won't somewhat be competitive. I probably won't beat him, but you know, like if I you know probably put the time into that sport to do that you know we'd be competitive so oh it just it just like it helps you mature as an athlete really um and it teaches you that um you can't win everything <laughs> you know it actually helps you be a somewhat not a good like a good loser you know and there are better guys out there and only one person can win yeah yeah, it is, it is obviously a cool experience to step outside your comfort zone and to appreciate different sports for what they are because I guess sometimes we get so caught up in what we, are, we do ourselves and we get so focused on it that we think, oh, like, I can jump over there and it's going to be easy and I'm just going to be able to take over the sport. And then you get over there and it's like it's really hard. Like I've done it a couple of times and it's taken years to sort of progress, but it sounds like you really want to work hard at that ocean ski paddling and try and be competitive a little bit more going forward. Is it? Is I know you've done the, the Shore Partners Race Week last year. You've done a couple of other different international ski races now. Is that something that you, you see yourself getting more involved with or is it sort of just still on the side right now while you're still chasing that Ironman dream? Yeah, uh, I guess the... You know, I, I guess for the when you say chase the Ironman dream, I like it. I think I've kind of, I wouldn't say, yeah, you know, like I'm living it, right? I'm not trying to, you know, achieve anything more than what I'm doing. I'm trying to really enjoy what I do. I'm as, as well. I'm building my own business and um, anything that kind of fits in with my lifestyle, I, I would love to do. You know, so right now, like I'm, I can juggle both work and training, and you know, we go and do good paddling trips with the shore race team and. Um, it just sort of is my life. Um, I'm not trying to do something and, and, you know, like force it to happen. It's just, you know, if ocean paddling happens, I'll probably still do it while I'm doing surf lifesaving and while I'm still doing my job. And I think it kind of benefits everything. You know, you, you, you meet new people, you network, and then you're like yourself, you're probably the best networker out there, mate. Um, you know, when it comes to that, your sport. And I think a lot of people in surf lifesaving, yeah, there's not big dollars to be made up front, However, there's big opportunities to be, to be had. Um, and that's where I think uh, they kind of, that's the flip side, right? We, yeah, we, we don't get paid big dollars, but, you know, the opportunities that come out of it to meet great people like the, you know, the Shore and Partners guys, the Earl Evans and the, you know, the, I guess the Justin Ryans and stuff like that, the opportunities present themselves when you're, I guess, you're passionate and you're good at what you do and then you're, you're open to trying new things. 
Yeah, and I think it's really important you're talking about obviously networking and, and making it bigger than what it is to you. I guess when you were younger, you're like it was like everything, but then you realize there's so many other things that come from it, like good people, good friends, good opportunities, great experiences, great memories, and all these different things that we can build around the sports that we do. Um, and Surski has been one of those amazing ones for me because I've been able to meet so many amazing people and just be able to, to work with them and get to know them better. And, and even doing podcasts like this and talking to people and hearing their stories and learning from them has been quite an incredible experience and something that I really um, love to do. But um, motivation-wise, why do you love doing like all these different lifestyle and ocean sports that you're doing and what gets you out of bed each morning now? Like, cause you've, you've said you've kind of achieved those two of those big achievements that you've, you've wanted to achieve the whole career. Um, what, what are you striving to achieve now that may be different or, or the same or, and what motivates you to get out of bed each morning? Uh, I guess watching a good sunrise uh, gets me motivated to get out of bed. Um, man, I just love, I love that time of day. And I, if I'm not, I guess I'm awake early as it is, you know, and I guess for me with um, in my business, I, you know, we do a lot of advertising online, right? So for me, it's always, I like to just do the best I can for my clients and get the best results for them. So if I'm, if I'm not asleep, I'm either thinking about that or I'm in the ocean. So um, I think a big part of um, everyday life is staying mentally fit. Um, I just, I know for a fact, like in, for myself anyway, if I get up in the morning and I haven't been for a paddle or a run or a swim and I just get out of bed and kind of roll up to my computer, I actually feel somewhat annoyed at myself. Um, mm. It's weird. I haven't, I feel guilty about sleeping in or not doing something or missing the best part of the day. So that's what kind of motivates me. I just get out of bed. I, I like to start my day happy. Um, and that's the biggest part. And if I don't exercise and I don't, go for a paddle or whatever it might be. I just, I'd start the day somewhat unhappy or not as yeah. happy as it would be. It is, it is really something important that I've learned over this sort of different period with this COVID-19 situation where you haven't been able to do the normal things. But if I don't get up in the morning, I have exactly the same feeling. I feel like I'm a bit lazy or I haven't, like, and then you don't get the release of endorphins. You don't have that great start to the morning. You haven't done that activity. And, but how cool is it, um, I guess for me and, and probably for you as well to be able to, approach business the same way that you approach racing like you're sort of you're sort of taking that commitment that passion that determination to what you're doing externally now as well can you tell us a little bit about your business and what you guys are trying to do and achieve because i know it's something you're very passionate about yeah i guess so i guess in a nutshell we um i guess we give small to medium-sized businesses a presence online um so that's you know i guess starting from social media to SEO to Google ads and all that sort of jazz. Um, a lot of lead generation stuff, but, um, for me, it's like, I've always been constantly thinking about how I can amplify, I guess, my presence and my sponsor's presence in, in the kind of current market that we're in. And so I was kind of always thinking of strategies and different ways for my sponsors to, to break into a different market, to, you know, get in front of the right people, to be warned by the right people, this and that. So for me, it was just a, I'm like, you know what, how about I should turn this into a business and, um, you know, upskill myself, learn a bit more and surround myself with a, a good team that can help me execute the best for um, my clients. So it kind of just started really small. We started creating content um, and then realized that we were creating amazing content, but it wasn't actually generating much engagement purely because of being put in front of the right people. 
So then it's kind of came back to, all right, who is, who is their, their audience? You know, who are the right people to put in front of? So that's when you kind of start digging deeper into the data and, and um, you know, tracking different movements and then putting it in front of the right people. Yeah. And so with that, it's a lot of, obviously, do you create content as well? And then you create the lead generations because something I guess most people are fairly interested in these days because you hear a lot about Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, SEO engagement, like obviously with the websites and then content creation. And then now you're talking about connecting um, brands and uh, I guess influencer or sports people to creating that best opportunity for both those brands to thrive. Um, why is it something that you're interested in and what, what sort of involved in that? Um, why am I interested in it? Purely because I guess I just love, I I find I resonate with, um, and I, I, I tend to work with brands that resonate with me. So if I don't feel like an add value to you or your brand, I, I tend to not work with it because I just find that's just not the best fit and I can't strive for results for that. Right. So um, for us, yeah, we, we, we do everything essentially from creating content to implementing, building out campaigns, ad campaigns. Um, and I guess, you know, in result, we try to drive revenue to, to those brands that are, that are wanting to advertise. Yeah, it's, it's quite a, obviously a fun experience for you because in a way, it's something that you've been doing for a long time. We're just looking at your uh, Instagram here. And it's obviously a lot of uh, clean, crisp images and yep. sort of, I know I, I obviously like I was speaking to Slater Trout the other day actually and he was talking about uh, Lightroom and, and working a lot with that and making those images that maybe like they're just like a camera image or a, a normal SLR image and what it looks like then and what it looks like when it comes out of Lightroom is completely different but you're sort of bringing the colors and, and doing um, like, you know just bringing the more vibrance to the image is that something that you are working on with the brands as well and that's something that you've noticed that, that when you're working on these partnerships you actually you've got to have the content that actually really speaks to people yeah and i think if you're if you're a premium product there's no point skimping um on sub premium content you know so you're selling a product for 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 a good amount of money like you can't just cut corners you know i think that's the biggest thing so you know these guys here um so they're a running club that i'm a part of and you know they're they're complete non-for-profit they're all about mental i guess raising mental awareness for for men uh, for mental health in men and yeah. uh yeah most friday mornings this was before COVID 19 but every friday morning or thursday night we run friday morning this is like a bit of a recovery session that i took the crew through so we're like all right we'll come down film it put something together for the guys and um you know try and spread the word about hey if you're struggling or whatnot or you want a place to run and hang out with some other blokes um come down so yeah you've got, it's, all, it's always important to, to obviously be with brands that you're passionate about and sort of something that relates to to your brand as an athlete and then now that you'd be able to do it um as a businessman and, and being able to help support the the things that really like mean something to you like i know mental health for me as well is like something that's really important it's probably not spoken about um with men and then and you've got something with COVID 19 and there's a lot of people hurting at the moment um what things do you do each and every day to make sure that you're mentally strong and you're being able to get up every day. Like I know you do training and you focus on the business, but like, is there any like key elements, like maybe like something like journaling or is it, or is it just like having a good balance in life? Um, and I'm going to be totally open and honest with you here, but I don't journal. I don't do anything. And to be honest, I probably don't speak as much as I should um, about that kind of stuff. I've, um, I've always been a kind of guy to not bottle it up. Yeah. Somewhat bottle it up. And um, mm. 
just keep it to myself and seem like, meh, you know, I'm not going to bother anyone else with these issues. Like I can deal with it. I'll go for a training and blow off some steam. Um, so for me, it's kind of like, I just try and surround myself with good people. And, um, you know, I always, I guess I've been big on, I guess, a, a somewhat philosophy that like, I don't know everything, but I know someone who does. Um, so like, I don't try and, you know, solve something myself or like, you know, if I've got an issue with something, I'll go and speak to someone that I think knows the answer. Um, you know, so it's a, I, I guess it's an interesting one. It's one I'm trying to work on daily, mate. And I think, you know, you hear a couple of, you know, a couple of guys that I've, I've listened to on your, on your podcast talk about journaling and this and that. Um, it's probably a good way to get, let it out. Um, yeah, I was speaking to Zane Swartz the other day and he was talking about a technique where he journals every day and he writes down three good things he wants to do each day and then he does the same thing at night time and, and whether he's executed those goals or not and then he has like an overall goal as well and he actually just like just sort of puts it out there and makes sure that he's not only accountable to himself but he's actually trying to achieve things each and every day and he said it's really good for him and something I'm going to try start trying to do. I only interviewed him the other day, but it's just like you find all these key little different things that people are doing in their lives to make sure that they are mentally strong, they are pushing forward and they are trying to achieve different things. So it's always good to hear from um, different successful people like yourself about what they do each and every day to make sure that they're strong. And um, it's been obviously awesome. But um, we were talking about brand partnerships. You've had so many amazing sponsors over your career um, what do you think that is important? So someone like a, a young kid coming through and wanting to get sponsored and be sort of um, help push to achieve their goal. Like what would you say to them and, and what would, what sponsors have been really good to you over your career? Um, I guess first things first is like, and, and it takes a long time. And I, you know, I was told this at a young age, but like, you know, what is your brand and, and what do you want to represent? Um, for me, I've kind of been through a couple of different sponsors uh, at the time before I knew actually what I wanted to kind of be. And, you know, I'm the type of guy where like, I'm all about, I guess, fitness and lifestyle. Right. Um, and I like, there's, there's, there's a few brands. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be sponsored by Oakley and by Speedo. Um, and they're two brands now that I'm fortunate enough to be partnered with. Um, you know, True Protein is a very, I guess, a somewhat new brand, but they're locals, all right? So I've always been big on trying to support local um, where I can. And, you know, also I really like to, I'm big on, if I don't like the product, no matter how much, I guess, free stuff or money you're going to pay me, if, if, I, if I genuinely am not interested in that product, I will not take your money. So I think you've got to be A, passionate about it. Um, B, it's got to fit within your, I guess, core values. And um, my biggest thing too is just like, how can I give back to that brand? Um, and if I feel like I actually can't give back or I don't know how to give back, it's not the right partnership, straight up. So, um, and it, it's like a support network. They don't, you don't need to have like, you know, and I'm not taking a swipe at you because I see all your sponsors there, but um, you don't need to have a lot. You know, I think if you've got four key or five, whatever it might be, key sponsors that you know, will we'll stick by you through thick and thin, well, then you know you've got the right, a good support network. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to have those brands that you resonate with and you want to represent. And I've been lucky enough to have, I guess, loyal brands for me for five, 10 years. And most of the brands behind me are either brands I've started or brands that I've been with for a long time. Like the brands that I've been with and stuff I've been with since the start, like the, the surf ski brands I've been with, like Ocean Paddler and, and 
uh, Fen and those type of brands I've been with since for eight years. Like Shaw and Partners, I've been together with them for five years. So it's like all these long-term loyal sponsors are loyal to you when, when times get hard, like right now as well. Like um, I've, I've been so lucky not to lose any of my sponsors in this period. And we're talking about how to bring value to the sponsors when things get tough and you're trying to obviously create new opportunities for them. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast was actually to give my brand's value in a period where I can't give them any value because I can't race and I can't get those results that I'm used to getting. Um, but speaking about COVID-19, uh, two things. One, how are you dealing with it mentally? And two, what was it like to not be able to race Aussies for like the third time, I think it was in the last 10 years. It's something that is sort of happening a fair bit recently. It's, it's totally out of everybody's control, but um, Aussies obviously a big deal to you and you probably was like, you won the series, you're probably trying to go back to back um, and win another Australian Ironman title. Like, what was it like not to have Aussies and, and to, how are you dealing with it mentally going forward with so much uncertainty? Um, oh, to not have Aussies is tough. Um, however, I'm, I'm busy. Like, I'm, I'm busy with work stuff. So, you know, what we're finding now at work, sorry to go off topic a bit, but, like, now is a time where there is a lot of uncertainty and you have the bigger businesses that spend a lot of money on advertising, which drives the cost of, I guess cut through for smaller brands up um they've turned down all their advertising and spend right a lot of them have so the cut through now is a lot easier for smaller brands so um for us right now it's like work's been busy because it's like there's a lot of different brands that are going hey i want to i want to start creating my presence online and get in front of the right people whilst we have the opportunity right now um so that there has been taking up a lot of time which is which is amazing so um, not having Aussies, it's like good because it's been able to let me facilitate all that kind of work. But my um, oh, training all year, you know, coming off the, the back of a win in the series to not kind of be able to race, it's it sucks. Um, everyone loves it. It's the last, you know, it's the last, I guess, com competition of the year. And then once that finishes, everyone gets to kind of let their hair down for a day or so, and um, then you have a good break. So. It's kind of, it's just an empty, a bit of an empty feeling. Um, you know, I've seen across social media, like, you know, some of the other surf clubs have been like training up until like when Aussies was. And, you know, for me, when they called it off, I was like, okay, it sucks, but hey, new beauty, it's off season now. And um, I was kind of feeling a little bit, you know, around our state titles in February, I was starting to feel a little bit burnt out. So like more mentally than anything. So it was kind of, for me, I try and take a positive out of any negative. And um, for me, it was like, all right, now's a good time to rest your body, focus on work. Um, you know, if you're going to go for a paddle or whatnot, just go do it for a bit of fun and um, really kind of go back to just enjoying why you do it. And is it kind of like a calming period for you as well? Like, because you've been obviously on the grind for so many years and the only other time you probably have stopped is when you got your injury, when you're winning the series, leading the series back, back, I don't know, five or six years ago. And now you've got another opportunity where you actually get to have a break without um, having any control over it. Is that, is it kind of like a calming period for you as well? And you're actually able to like relax? Like, I know I'm, it's kind of nice for me as well because I've been chasing so many different things for many years. And now it's just like, okay, well I can't race and I can't control anything and actually nobody else is able to race. So it's kind of like, okay, I can relax. Yeah. It's um, yeah, totally mate. You can see like I've been growing my beard now for like four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to try and grow it until this whole isolation restrictions, I guess, um, ease, but yeah. it is, it's a, it's a forced break, but it, um, it was weird. Like when like the Aussie titles week was meant to be, I felt like I was missing out on something. Mm. Uh, 
but there was nothing. So, and I think, you know, I can probably speak for a lot of the different clubbies and a lot of different sports that should be on right now. It's like, you know, right now I should be on the Gold Coast and we're finishing up Aussies and packing the trailer and having a beer with the guys that you've trained all season with. Um, and you start thinking about that, but really, you know, you're sitting at home on the couch going, oh, shit, you know, like, what's actually going on? So, um, at the end of the day, everyone's in the same boat. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I hope, you know, it, it kind of, you know, gives people like there's been a lot of old videos of like the old Aussie titles going around on uh, on Facebook, you know, and I think right there it just shows you how much of a I don't know like a, the sports obviously changed a lot, but like back then it was just so I loved it. Like I get excited watching those old videos. It takes me back to like my first ever Aussie titles and how much of a big deal it was. Um, so hopefully it's kind of gives you know some of the I guess the sports organisations and surf clubs a bit of time to reflect and go like, hey, this is kind of what it's all about. It's about, it's not about winning point scores and this and that. It's about like bringing a whole big movement together and, you know, racing hard and having a good time. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we're, we're doing it for a bigger cause than just winning a point score or, or, or a medal or something at Aussies. Um, you know, you, you're kind of catching up with old friends. And I don't know, I just, it kind of just made me, you know, kind of reflect on it a bit and somewhat... I don't know, how, how can you kind of bring the sport back to how it was? Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting um, a topic, I guess, you're bringing up right now is obviously there's like a, been a bit of a disjoint uh, between, like, I guess, surf life saving and then the surf life saving movement and then the community. And there's like obviously a lot of different things that have gone on in the past few years. Like you spoke to someone like Guy Leach recently who said that they weren't, like surf life saving probably didn't do a very good job at like bringing up the next names. And that was kind of the reason why Uncle Toby's and eventually like Nutrigain probably aren't as big as they are now because they spent so much money on pumping the names at the time. They never really brought any of the new guys up. So that it was just like, it was just like a sort of was destined to fail in a way for that sort of type of series and that type of community. But you sort of see how much it means to so many different people when things go wrong or when you have events like Aussies and like, there's just so many people. Like I remember as a kid when I was like, 13 I think I went to my first ever Aussies because I just couldn't help myself and I got to like see all my idols race and there was like I don't know thousands of people on the beach and it was just such a big movement and such an awesome opportunity to to catch up with your friends because that was the most exciting time of the year because you'd be a little kid in uh, I was in Newcastle Caves Beach and like each year I get to travel to somewhere where I get to see all my friends from around the country and now I get to do that sort of a bit at a bit more of an international scale but it's exactly the same process and I loved it then and as much as I love it now what do you think that what do you think that surf life saving or the community as a, as a whole could be doing better to help bring up the sport and to help it I guess move through this next cycle because I guess any sport goes through exponential growth and they come down at plateaus and then it can also go back up again so what do you think they could be doing better at the moment to help bring the sport because I guess you look at something like INX this year, there was so much drama, but it was kind of like a fun event for someone like me, but maybe looking at someone like a, a professional Ironman at the moment might be a bit harder, but I know you took that opportunity to go and do it. Um, are these sort of initiatives something that's going to help the sport or be negative towards the sport? or how, And how do you think that the sport can grow in, as a whole going forward? Oh, I don't, yeah, there's, it's, it's a good question. Um, and to be honest, I probably don't have the, answer, the right answer. Um, but... I've always been a big believer in like, you do the same thing, you're gonna get the same result. Um, no matter how much money you pour into it, if it's the same product, you're gonna get the same result. Um, so I, I stand by, um, you know, I, I copped a lot of flack in and around that whole INX and I stand by my, my comments and my opinion, really. Um, they're trying to do something, right? 
whether it's the right idea or the wrong idea, like that's irrelevant, right? They're trying to tap into another audience, a bigger audience or whatever it might be. They're trying to innovate the sport and raise the profile of the sport and Ironman racing benefits from that. So like whether it includes like, you know, um, obstacle courses or stand up paddling, which is foreign to us, like it's another challenge. And, you know, I guess a a somewhat a a true athlete um, will have a crack at it. Put your hand up. You're a professional athlete. Right. And if you don't want to race and do all these other races, like that's cool. But like there's people that want to do it. So don't sit like behind and just kind of bag it. And when they're trying to do something um, and if you don't agree with it, put your money where your mouth is um, and do it yourself yeah? and, and do something like rather than sitting back and saying, no, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. You know, and just bagging it, bagging it, bagging it when you've actually got nothing to bring to the table yourself, but a comment. Like, yeah, it's a really uh, tough one, isn't it? Yeah, and mate, and I think, like, as you say, like, you've got to, um, you know, try and bring the names up. Um, you know, I guess we got to a point, like, my I use myself, Pooley, and Ali um, as like a good example, um, purely because we were kind of, we're not the same, um, I guess, profile as a Kai Hurst or a Shannon Eckstein or a Zane Holmes or kind of that next wave coming through. And we got a little bit of live TV time. Um, you know, we got to do shows like deep water and stuff like that as well, but it kind of, we had about three years of it and our profile got to a certain point and then it just like stopped, you know, mm-hmm. where now it's like, it's actually probably come down a bit. <laughs> um, so, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a million dollar question. And I think, um, people probably should start looking at maybe the big picture. And I know you and I like copped a bit for that INX about, you know, just chasing money. And it's like, well, it's not even about that um, whatsoever. It's like, I want to try and help, you know, wherever I can and, and build the profile of a sport. And, you know, we benefit from that. One yeah, athlete not bigger than a sport. Well, there's a few things. And there's a few reasons why I did it. Like one, I've always copped flack because I've always been the guy who's done, done different things and people say that it's not good or you're not competitive or if, you're, if I came and did that sport, I'd be better than you or all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, cool, come race. Like, and I've always been the guy who's just put my money where my mouth is and just gone, okay, I'm going to go compete and I'm going to try and win. And if you guys want to beat me, then come. Like, don't, yeah. don't just sit back on your, on your couch and say, oh, I'm better if you're not going to do it yourself. So, yeah. And then the, the INX thing I thought was a really cool concept because I've done so many different water sports and I see the value in all of them. I see ocean sports as a community like yes mm-hmm. Ironman is one branch of that community but there is OC1 there is stand-up paddling there is surf ski paddling there is I don't know dragon boat paddling like whatever you name it these are all sports we do in the ocean so why are we all so, so disjointed I, mm-hmm. I just don't that's something that I've never really been able to understand was because yeah. we're all similar people we all have the same mindset we all enjoy the ocean we all enjoy that passion and we have fun out there so why don't we do an event where we, where we combine these mm. all these different great sports and that might bring in like CrossFit, like all Ninja Warrior, whatever that obstacle course wanted to be put in that pigeonhole, but we shouldn't have to pigeonhole ourselves into a sport. And I think some people get scared of change and I've never been one who's scared of change. I've never been one of, who's afraid of copping a bit of flack for doing something different. So mm. I was really, it was actually a really good event to be a part of and, and I hope it gets run again. And if it doesn't, then that's, that's great. But I also hope that, if it doesn't happen that the Ironman sport actually benefits from it not happening because if it doesn't benefit from it not happening and the, and the sport doesn't go forward, 
in general, then it's kind of like a negative on every count. Like it's, I was talking to Carla Gill the other day and she was talking about when the girls had to start ski paddling for the first time. There was like mm. protests and people hated it. And she was just like, I just, it was just going to happen. And I wanted a new opportunity. And so I went and learned it and I just did it. Like I didn't worry about all the noise and I just, I just embraced that new skill and that new sport. And now I'm on racing house ski paddling. And it's no, it's kind of like not really that different, like going back into the late nineties, you know? Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree, mate. And it's one of those things, that INX event, like, we would have done it if there was no prize money. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like something different. It's a challenge. And you know what? Like, there was stuff that I was absolutely terrible at. And I knew I was terrible at it. And it was like, I don't care. Like, yeah. whether you win or come last, like, okay, I think there are no losers in that scenario. It's a, it's a sports first. And all we're trying to do is build the profile. Um, you know, so, man, I think more, probably more events like that to help build the profile. Like, as I said, like, you know, you, you feature on Fox Sports and, and TV these days. It's like, yeah, it's great. But like, who's kind of watching it? Mm. You know, like, no one really watches it, do they? Um, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see any ratings, reviews or reports as to how many viewers we've had and this and that. So there's a reason why we're not on free-to-air TV. Um, and it's as simple as that. But sports change and, and they evolve over time and any yeah. sport that is successful does that because that has to. And you see, like, go back into the 90s, like, yeah, Uncle Toast was massive because it was one of the only sports on free-to-air television. But now you've got, like, eSports and you've got um, skateboarding and surfing mm. and, like, all these other, like, quick, like, um, action sports where, like, every you can watch the whole thing, you've got commentary and all this sort of stuff, whereas... Wyoming mean, racing is something that's been done for a long time, but it, it's something that's very iconic. But if you can evolve that and pivot it, like same way that everybody has to pivot at a time like this in business, yeah. you can actually make something exciting from it, from that change. And that there's things that can actually evolve and could be created that can actually push everything together. Because at the end of the day, like the Ironman racing is like arguably one of the hardest sports in the world. It's like, mm. you have to be so fit to do it. So like adding extra fitness elements to it, like I didn't, I didn't see how that was such a big deal, but some people did. But when I, like, I, I loved, I loved the concept so much, right? Like I paid for this to go to this event off my own back. Like nobody forced me to go. Like I copped the flack for no reason, essentially. Like I wasn't going to yeah. win the money. I was in the middle of my off season. I'd just gone to Europe for five weeks. I'd come back and I just trained for like three or four weeks and did the best I could. Like I hadn't swum in seven years, you know, like and everyone's like, oh, he's coming back. And he's going to win. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not. We're going there to have fun and like see yeah. a few of my old friends and hopefully bring some exposure because like I do have a bit of an international exposure now. And mm. if that if people can get psyched on that concept, then people can bring it to different audiences. And I I was at my um my sister in law's wedding. I drove from Albany, um, which is like five hours south of Perth. Drove to Perth like the day before the race, so five hour drive. Flew yeah. across to Brisbane, then drove to the Sunshine Coast. Dad had to organize everything. I think he brought up a paddle for me. There was like all yeah. these logistics that had to happen. And then I got in the line, start line the next morning, I was exhausted, but I just, I raced because I actually believe in a concept like that. Like I believe in water sports and that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I went and did it and I actually had a great time. And I think most of the athletes or all the athletes who did it were kind of like, I'm so glad I raced. It was actually so fun. Yeah, it was. It was bloody good fun. And oh, yeah, I, I kind of feel sorry for those guys that I guess were so against it. Because it's it, it's a it was an awesome opportunity, man, and we had a heap of fun. And um, oh, mate, it is what it is. And fingers crossed, we get to do a couple more of them. Yeah, absolutely. And what's going forward for you? So next three to five years, what's Kendrick Louis going to do? Like, is he going to keep racing um, to, to like to, at the professional level? Is he going to focus more on his business? I know you're getting married. Like, is 
what was what's the future hold for you in the next sort of intermediate period? Yeah, so uh, plan is to get married in November um, yep. if that goes ahead. Um, it's my thirtieth birthday at the end of this month, so that means I qualify for masters. So um, I might start rolling around in the masters age groups. Um, <laughs> but yeah, mate. Um, I think obviously business is a big focus. Um, there's a few things in the pipeline at the moment. Um, that if if they come off, they'll be potentially quite big. Um, so that that's a big focus of mine. But obviously, I want to go and defend my um, Nutri Grand title. Um, put a good preseason in. Um, potentially do the gold, um, mate. And then I guess like the next few years, probably look at yeah, having some kids and yeah. It's uh, I guess I just I'm, I'm living a really good life right now and I'm really enjoying it. I've found a great balance. Um, and um, yeah, I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. So. It's, uh, mate, life's good. Oh, mate, that's good to hear. And I wish you all the best going forward. And I hope you get to be able to get out there and retain your title at the end of, uh, the end of 2020. And I'm sure there's lots of success to come, whether that's in uh, sport or business. So it's been obviously nice to watch your journey and be part of your journey in some parts along the way. And it's, it's obviously nice to be able to share your story here today. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. All the no best. Worries. Thanks, mate. Um, any handles, uh, places that people can find you or your business before we jump off? Um, yeah, I guess you, you showed both of them earlier on. But yeah, yep. so my business is at Louis Media. And um, my personal one is uh, at Kendrick.Louis. All right. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, everybody who's been watching. Um, it's been an awesome experience chatting to so many amazing people. If there's anybody you'd like me to get on, please let me know. Um, Boothcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify want to watch them, Michael Booth, um, Booth car section on uh, Facebook. But yeah, mate, really appreciate all your time today and I'm sure we'll talk to you, to you very, very soon. Good stuff, Boothy. Thanks, mate. Cheers.